0: This is VOCM Open Line. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. The biggest conversation in Newfoundland and Labrador starts now. Here's VOCM Open Line host, Patty Daly. Well, all right,
1: and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Friday, January the 19th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams. He's producer of the Come On With an edition of the show. So, if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue and on the air, 709 273 Elsewhere, it's toll-free, long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. So, pretty messy day for much of the island yesterday. Lots of confusion about school closures and buses off the roads. So we can get into that. Even in, in terms of driving, just here in the metro region, the regional fire department had to respond to 13 collisions just yesterday alone. So still some tricky conditions out there so you know what to do. The high wind's apparently going to taper off a little bit later today. And, of course, that high wind has caused a bunch of power outages. Newfoundland Labrador Hydro reporting, working on restoring power for those affected. So give us an update where you are. All right, so the Newfoundland Rogues basketball team back in action tonight for the first game of the season at the Mary Brown Centre. I think it's the Jamestown Jackals are town a bit of a new look for the team we've spoken to coach uh, jerry williams many times here on the show we look forward to speaking with coach williams again so they got four players returning including a, lo- a local a uh, daniel gordon of course is on the team williams says it's going to be a big squad average height six six they got a seven footer in the lineup so lots of rogues action to take in beginning this evening down there and we heard from marble mountain this morning on the VOC morning show with ben murphy and jerry lynn Mackey. Fingers crossed, Marble might indeed be open tomorrow if the weather allows, so that's the good news. All right, you've heard of me talk about watching sports and seeing all the gambling ads. Now there's been some work done formally to just look at how pervasive the gambling ads are. Now, gambling has long gone hand in glove with sports. So it's just different now that the federal government has allowed single game betting and the numbers are astonishing. So apparently when they had a look at, it, so CBC's marketplace and a bunch of uh, researchers from the University of Bristol, they said that some 20% of each broadcast is consumer gambling messages. They talk about the fact that some 90% of the gambling ads are right there in the logos, right on the rink boards themselves or on the side of the playing surface like the basketball court. Pretty amazing stuff. But here's some numbers for context. Now Ontario is the only province the country with a regulated market for private gambling companies the rest of the regions are handed through provincially run websites here's some numbers from ontario something else since ontario launched the regulated market in april 2022 gambling has gone off the charts it's operated by a company called or an arm's length organization called iGaming ontario reported players wagered more than 14 billion dollars in the second quarter The second quarter alone, $14 billion in 2022-2023. Since the launch of the regulated market, revenues for gambling companies have more than tripled from a total of $162 million as of the 30th of June of 2022 to more than $540 million by September the 30th of 2023. And, of course, again, gambling has always been a part of sport, but those are pretty significant numbers. In one quarter alone, just in the province of Ontario, $14 billion was wagered. So people will talk about, you know, the addiction that maybe will be Possible for some. And you know, those who are trying to kick the habit, but like watching the game, and then you know what they call these days being triggered. So, the gambling numbers are absolutely madness. All right, for NHL fans back in 2013, you had to wait a long time because of the lockout that lasted some 119 days. The 2012 2013 NHL season began. On the 19th of January, back in 2013. And alongside gambling, one of the issues in some sports is the use of drugs, whether it be performance enhancing drugs, steroids, and otherwise. After years of denial, on this date in 2013, Lance Armstrong admitted to doping in all seven of his Tour de France victories. So the gambling and the drugs as part of sports, all part of it, as you know. I already heard Brian Mador talk about this. And look, there was some pretty significant reaction, some overreaction, some shrugging of shoulders when hockey. News Newfoundland and Labrador just less than a month ago decided they were going to ban post-game handshakes for minor hockey players on the boys' side from U11 to U18. The backlash was real, and I, like I've said in the past, I think the issue was much bigger than simply just the handshake and the concept of a post-game handshake. So they're going to allow the associations to let the teams shake hands after. They're allowing the associations to prohibit it when and if they see fit. You know, I don't know if you want to take it on as a call today, but we're happy to do it But it is, once again, much bigger than simply the optics and the symbolism associated with a handshake, in my personal opinion. So I think it's probably a wise decision that H&L has taken on here, and they'll have further review in the future, and in the world of having a skate. I got an email from a teacher who teaches English as a second language, or an additional language at Holy Heart of Mary High School. Her name is Erin Coates. All of her students are newcomers, so they've had the opportunity to experience some Canadiana, they did some curling, and now she'd like to take her class over to the Batimer Park Skating Loop. But because many of these, if not all these newcomers, have never, ever been on skates, and you don't need to wear a helmet at the Loop, but she's not willing to take the class without helmets, so they're high schoolers, so it's adult-sized helmets required. She's looking for people to, absolutely, the folks listening to this program this morning, have all hockey helmets uh, down in the basement or out in the garage or out in the shed. If you have one such of these helmets, please consider making a donation to Miss Coates at Holy Heart of Mary High School so she can take her newcomers over to the Loop for a scoot. Alright. And I mentioned earlier that some variety of power outages. And Newfoundland Labrador Hydro continue to evaluate where there will be some additional power generation to meet forecasted demand. And, of course, people will latch on to one of the recommendations from Hatch that talked about a 150-megawatt diesel generator to be located at Holyrood. That's not where Hydro has landed, but that's what grabbed all the headlines. And we are still anticipating some further information and or green light or more questions to be posed by the provincial government for some of these onshore wind proposals. You know the ones I'm talking about. Notably on the port of port Peninsula, but it gets all the traction. We've had a couple of calls regarding everwind down on the Buren Peninsula, but it's really World Energy GH2. I was flipping through the doors yesterday, and I came on to uh, Bob McDonald on Quirks and Quarks. Great show, I have to admit. And they were talking about hydrogen. So, you know, the possibility to use hydrogen as a fuel source has long been part of the mix but it's come and gone, it's been uh, trendy, and then it's been a fad, and then it's kind of got shelved. So they were asking very legitimate questions about how it's going to be utilized and whether or not it's actually green. We know that there's many different labels for hydrogen. If you're using fossil fuels to create that fuel source, of course, they would refer to it as gray hydrogen versus green, and that tag is associated with using a renewable, like wind still waiting for the federal government to complete some of their thoughts, you know, it's really remarkable that they'll make big announcements about tax subsidies or programs or policies without all the fine details, definitions, and regulations in place. And one of those that's outstanding at this moment is exactly what will qualify as being green, to uh, be able to avail of that very generous and lucrative tax subsidy between 15 and 40%. So if you are in any region of the province who would like to take on that particular issue, still time to do it here on the show. I see also in the news that the PUB, the Public Utilities Board, has approved Newfoundland Power's capital budget application for 2024. It came in about a million dollars less than what was proposed. In addition, and we've had consumer advocate Dennis Brown on this show, so while the winter weather and the high winds proposes a potential for uh, some of these outages, there's also rate hike applications that are not going to be evaluated beginning on February the 1st. And, of course, those are two separate general rate applications. It's an annual affair, but they've got two on the table. One for a 1.5% increase July, and then another 5.5% increase rate application in front of the PUB as well to take place July of next year. So those two items, we're going to talk about it. Let's go. All right. All right. So for companies that have been in the furnace oil, stove oil business for decades, and, you know, people will refer to Harvey's as Harvey's Oil. But, of course, the company is Harvey's Home Heating. And they see the transition. They see what's happening. I mean, it's right there in front of your face. There are big conversations about it. There's huge pots of money to move from oil into whether it be electric heat pumps and or mini splits, all the rest. You know the story. So they're getting into business. Of course they had to. It's not that long ago they were delivering furnace oil, just in this region alone, to some 10,000 homes. That number's decreased to about 7,000. So they're getting in the electric heat pump in the mini-split business. It just makes sense. Apparently there's some 40,000 homes in this province that are uh, heated with uh, furnace oil. And we do know some of the unfairness rally cries that have come from parts of Canada, most notably Alberta, with the carve-out of the carbon tax associated with furnace oil and stove oil in this province for three years. And it really is contradictory, isn't it? You know, when many of the homes in Alberta are heated with natural gas, a much cleaner source of heat, we, you know, whether it be coal-fired generation and or furnace oil, it's labeled as much less clean, <laughs> I'll call it. And, of course, we don't pay the carbon tax on the really so-called dirty or less clean option, versus they do pay it on the much cleaner option in Alberta. A bit of a strange piece of business, but as someone who's heating their home with oil, I don't mind that particular tax break whatsoever. All right. This issue is something that we've discussed here in the program many, many times because when we talk about the housing crunch, especially as it pertains to international students and the responsibility of the post-secondary institutions to try to accommodate the needs. There was a program in place at Memorial University, I think it was called simply Home Share. So what it was, was matching up a senior who has an available room in their home with an international student, you know, in exchange for an affordable rent there would be some daily chores associated with it. Taking out the trash, shoveling the walkway, shoveling the driveway, those types of things. So shared spaces is coming to town. Now a variety of the post-secondary institutions have signed up for this. Uh, Memorial University, the College of the North Atlantic, Keen College, and Academy Canada. We are anticipating a call from the co-founders of Shared Space. It's already in operation in Ontario, British Columbia, and Alberta. So we'll try to, well, I guess I'll wait for them to, you know, talk about how it works and some of the issues regarding vetting the students, making sure that there's a compatibility associated with the senior and the students themselves. Then it's the concept of not just affordability and some companionship, I actually was, uh, once again, flicking channels yesterday and I heard uh, Adam Walsh talking about the concept of loneliness in seniors. It's a pretty important topic. So many times when we talk about the prevalence of chronic illness here, we kind of leave out some of the illnesses that may indeed be brought to bear or the likelihood of you having one of these diseases brought upon by loneliness. So I read an article yesterday afternoon from the CDC. They talked about the fact that social uh, social isolation was associated with about 50% increased risk of dementia. They went on to talk about uh, issues regarding heart disease, a 32% increase in stroke. So I'll let some of the callers, uh, it's Ryland Kinnan. I'm not exactly sure what the name of the social worker who's coming on is, but he's the CEO and co-founder of Shared Spaces. We'll let Ryland fill in some of the blanks here, and hopefully we'll get his other co-founder who's looking at the senior side. You know, specifically the issue of companionship, loneliness and what it means and I'm sure that there may indeed be some people listening this morning who are seniors who are living alone maybe your partner or spouse has passed and loneliness is starting to creep in and it comes much you know there's different stages of loneliness apparently and I took a screen grab of what I had read earlier this morning let's see if I can find it quickly So it's pretty serious stuff. All right, here's what I found when they talk about the three stages of loneliness. Emotional loneliness, the absence of meaningful relationships. Social loneliness, a perceived uh, deficit in the quality of social connections. And existential loneliness, a feeling of fundamental separation from others and the wider world. So sometimes it sounds like very fundamental and people are lonely and it's not uncommon. Some people may indeed feel socially awkward and loneliness might be something based on their own emotions and or wants. But for others, it can happen quite quickly. You know, living in a home where the children were there and there was always hustle and bustle and noise and conversation, and then when that goes away, it can be very abrupt and have meaningful negative impact on your mental well-being and your physical health. So we'll allow the folks at Shared Spaces to fill in some of those conversations and co- uh, some of the questions that you may indeed have. If you'd like to pose them, you can do it right here via email or Twitter or whatever the case may be before we speak to them. Okay. Uh, so, we've had the issue regarding the potential for job action, the members of the allied health professionals, and then this story regarding how I many people are probably sick of hearing recruitment and retention, albeit important. You know, if you listen to Ivanka Coffey, uh, the president of the Registered Nurses Union, we have a retention problem. People who are leaving the workforce as registered nurses for a variety of reasons, whether that be to work for one of these private travel agencies, which seems extremely attractive, to make more, maybe as much as double, and work less than your compatriots working on the floor in 4 North B. And then there's also the concept of the boomers who are retiring in droves. We can always hear the numbers from the government to talk about the recruitment efforts. You know, whether it be for daycare, early childhood educators, and whether it be for nurses or doctors. So the province will say, and they're not wrong, they're not telling us a lie, that they've recruited some 400 nurses. But the issue is whether or not we've seen an appreciable net gain. So while 400 nurses are new to the system, they all haven't hit the ground running. Some of them are still in the throes of... Uh, some updated training here on the ground to be fully qualified and accredited to do work as a registered nurse, but here's some of the net numbers. So while 400 registered nurses have been brought into the system, the net gain is only 60. So obviously the retention issue is real. Now you can't do much about the fact that people reach the age of retirement and are willing to move away from being an active registered nurse, but the numbers can be quite misleading, can't they? You know? daycare spaces, for instance. They talk about the commitment to create some 6,000 spaces and all the new early childhood educators and the new spaces that have been created, but the real number all lies in net gain. So we all have to be careful to get down into the weeds of the numbers. It's one thing to see the recruitment number. It's quite another to see the net gain number. So in the world of nurses, and of course yesterday we talked about the fact that the issues are not just about the work life balance and mandatory overtime. Apparently there's a significant number of nurses who are leaving because of violence in the workplace which is extraordinary stuff but if you want to take on any of that you know what to do. All right, just a quick plug here. Now, I did already mention gambling and sports, but this is a very different conversation, I would suggest. Coming back tomorrow, everybody's favorite, the Lions Club, VOCM Care Super Radio Bingo back starting tomorrow night, all of course in an effort to fuel the coffers at the VOCM, VOCM Cares Foundation. It's only $4 a card. If you want to see what retailer is uh, selling these cards nearby where you live, you just go to VOCMcares.com and take it on. $3,000 guaranteed prizes every week. The Escalating Jack pot begins tomorrow night at three thousand four hundred and seventy five dollars so if you're interested it's always a bit of fun to take it on all right how we doing on the phone there dave All right. We're on Twitter. We're VOCM Openline. You know what to do. Follow us there. Email address is openlineatvOCM.com. Oh, I just had a look at my call screen. We're going to kick off the program this morning talking about shared spaces. It just makes all the sense in the world. So Jackie Tanner is a gerontological social worker and one of the co-founders, alongside Ryland Kinnan. He's the CEO of Shared Spaces. They kick off the program right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. We're talking about Shared Spaces. Join us on the line. Numbers one and two are Rylan Kinnan and Jackie Tanner with Shared Spaces. Good morning to you both. You're on the air. Good morning. I, re- Good morning. I really appreciate the time. We've been talking about this is a real necessity here, uh, for whether it be Memorial University and the other post-secondary institutions that have signed on. Just for the bare bones, I suppose we should start at the beginning, Rylan. Tell us how it works. Just the basics.
2: So Spaces Shared uh,
3: is a home-sharing platform that uh, connects verified students and verified older adults uh, together. The older adult would create a listing, describe their home, describe their housemate preferences around cleanliness, visitors, substance consumption, food, etc. They'd describe the room, they'd set the price. If they're looking for any assistance around the home, they could establish a helper's discount where the student can provide up to five hours of help per week uh, with set tasks in exchange for reduction in rent. The student would see their listing, um, see how well they match the listing, and then they would choose to message the host. The host and the student can have a conversation by message, and then they would also meet by video chat in the platform. And if they want to proceed with the housing relationship, uh, the student would request a booking of the room. Uh, We would, at that point, complete an enhanced criminal record check of both the host and the student, and uh, they then can very easily enter into the home share agreement, which is managed through the platform, set up and receive payments, and we would check in the day that the student moved in with both the host and the student, and we check in a week after and every month to make sure that the relationship is going well.
1: What sort of issues are addressed or considered when we talk about compatibility?
3: So... We look at hobbies and interests, we look at the area that the older adult worked in or works in, the program of study uh, that the older adult took if they attended post-sec. We look at, again, expectations around substance consumption, cannabis, tobacco, alcohol, expectations around daytime and overnight gas, expectations around foods that can and can't be cooked in the home. Um, whether the student is okay with pets, if the host has a pet. We really try to give both sides as much of an understanding of each other as possible, and then also an understanding of where they don't match so that they can have a conversation.
1: Can you go back to the drawing board if you feel that things aren't working out, say even as as soon as a week or so?
3: So the way the process is set up currently is uh, if things aren't working out, they can flag uh, to our team. Uh, that it's not working out and they can fly to each other it's not working out we go through a process of trying to help them sort it out um, and eventually if they are unable to sort it out we would work with them to uh, dissolve the home share arrangement
1: so we'll get to Jackie down in a second because i really want to get to the senior side of this but as in regards to some of the tasks around the home whether it be with shoveling the driveway taking out the trash whatever the case may be what kind of effort has to be put forward to see a potential reduction in your rent and how's the rent set?
3: So the rent is set by the host, um, but if the host is looking for assistance, for every hour of weekly assistance they're looking for, we reduce the monthly rent by 5%. And the host can ask for up to five hours a week. So uh, the student could see up to a 25% rent reduction if they are willing to assist with tasks around the home. And when the student signs up, we ask them, are you willing to assist with tasks around the home? And if so, which tasks? and then the student and the host can see whether or not they're a match on those categories
1: I'm not going to suggest that every senior listening to the program this morning should hop into this you know maybe they want to hear how it works for maybe some of their friends who take it on but Jackie let's bring you into the conversation on the other side you know the benefit to the senior a bit of help around the home is one thing but it's been widely applauded by the folks at the Newfoundland Labrador Division of the Canadian Mental Health Association I did make reference to some of the issues regarding your mental well-being and your physical health as as pertains to loneliness talk about that issue regarding seniors and what this might mean for them, not just for a bit of additional revenue coming in, but for that bit of companionship to combat the loneliness they may may, de- may indeed be experiencing.
4: Yeah, absolutely. My experience is in keeping with what you were speaking about earlier. Social isolation is really, really tough for a lot of uh, older adults, not just older adults, but our students as well. And one of the things that I hear over and over from hosts uh, about why they're applying is a house that's become too quiet. Um, and just those unplanned interactions that they kind of miss having, it adds some spontaneity to your day, it adds a little bit of kind of richness to living alone and not having um, someone there is, is definitely missed when it, when it is the way it used to be.
1: What do we know about the connection between loneliness? It makes sense when you look at about regarding the 50% increased risk of dementia, 29% increased risk of heart disease, 32% increased risk of stroke. Help us understand why that is the way it is.
4: Can you repeat that? I'm so sorry. No,
1: just the link between loneliness and some of these, uh, you can imagine what it means for your mental well being, but when it comes to your physical health, what should we understand about the connection or the line drawn between loneliness and things like heart disease, risk of stroke, dementia?
4: Yeah, so we know that uh, loneliness is is kind of in keeping with uh, smoking. And when it comes to our physical well-being, I think what I've seen in our matches is those little things around the home that become a big barrier to aging in place or to thriving in place or something that students can help out with. Um, So shoveling on your own might not be possible, but shoveling with a student is possible. So it's just a little bit of help with doing some of those things that keep us active Uh, both mentally and physically, I think that are huge protective factors for older adults.
1: This may indeed be exactly what the doctor ordered, so to speak, you know, to have someone in your home with that bit of companionship. And I know this is a little bit outside, I was calling it shared spaces, but a space is shared, pardon me. (laughs) You know, it's easy enough to say, it's, you know, you can combat your own loneliness you know make friends go to the 50 plus club but it's simply easier said than done what do you say to folks who this might not be what they're looking for but what do you say to them to be sure before it gets to existential loneliness and what that might mean for heightened risk to your mental and physical well-being what do you say to seniors who might feel that way but they're not sure what exactly to do it's easy enough to say go make a friend go have a game of cards go to the mall go to the store but it's that first step it's like being physically fit the hardest step is the first step so what do you say to seniors who might feel that way this morning
4: yeah, I think it's looking at what are my unmet needs, right? So it's one thing if, you, if you're if you giving kind of maybe go here, go there, but it's what, what are my unmet needs and what can I do to address those? So everybody's unmet needs are different. So is it a need for a little bit of companionship? Is it just getting out in the community more? What are those things? And then making a, a list of how to meet them and
5: everybody is different,
1: yeah. So this uh, can be toward uh, both of you, Rylan and uh, Jackie. You know, it's one thing to have a roof over your head and a few tasks and an affordable rent. Is there any sort of conversation with the students to talk about this particular issue? Because not everyone's necessarily comfortable in engaging in big, meaningful conversation with someone that they just met, or maybe have different cultural backgrounds or whatever the case may be. Certainly an age gap, very likely. Is there any of that addressed during the compatibility conversation? Because it's one thing to have a cheap rent or Affordable rent, quite another to address all of these other tangential concerns regarding loneliness and compatibility and companionship. Is that broached?
3: So, when the host and the guest, potential guests, meet in the platform, we give them a discussion guide with about 10 to 12 questions on things they should ask each other to figure out whether this is going to be a good or meaningful relationship. So that includes questions like, what would a former roommate say is one of your best traits? What would a former roommate say is one of your worst traits? What are your hobbies, your interests? What are you into? Um, And really what it becomes is basically like a roommate situation. One of the things that we've seen is that um, when you stop, talking about age so much, it starts to disappear. People realize that they have lots in common, that age is uh, not really a big divider. And that's what we're so excited about with this model is allowing students to see and understand uh, that they're not that different from older adults and build those types of connections. So it's something that comes up uh, naturally through the process of the host and guest getting to know each other. I remember one of our first hosts said to us oh I've met with four students and none of them are a fit none of them are working out I'm, I'm feeling a little uh disheartened and then she met the fifth student in the platform and within I think about 30 seconds she said she knew that that was the student for her So it's really important to have the conversation. It's really important to get to know the other person. And I think we're all a pretty good judge generally of whether we're going to be able to um, get along with someone, have good conversations with someone. And in those conversations, it's also key to say what your expectations are. So are you looking to have a very engaged uh, relationship? Are you looking to um, really be more housemates ships passing in the night it's up to each match to determine how closely they want to be engaged.
1: So you're operating in Ontario BC and Alberta how many hosts are on the platform in those three provinces and is there such a thing as testimonials or people here locally who might be interested but we'd like to speak to someone who's actually experienced it in real time in real life so how many hosts do you have in those three provinces and are those types of conversations or references available?
3: So uh, we have I believe at my last check about 500 host accounts across Canada and we have been very fortunate some of our matches have been willing to um, speak to media. We have some of those interviews up on our website at www.spaceshare.ca in our newsroom. And what those hosts and guests have talked about, which has been extremely encouraging, is the hosts have said, you know, i had thought about this for a long time, but I never felt comfortable doing it until I understood the verification and background work that Space is Shared did. And the fact that Space is Shared actually stays along with us for the ride, checks in, and is available if any issues come up. Uh, the other thing we've heard is just how transformative it is to have another person in the home, to have that additional assistance to know that um, if someone's away, there's someone in the home looking after it. Uh, Really, what we hear from our hosts and our guests is that it's a win-win. It's a win for the guest who gets a connection to the community, a safe and affordable home, uh, and a meaningful connection uh, and friend or mentor. And it's a huge win for the host who gets the companionship, the assistance around the home, and the additional
1: monthly income. Uh, Final thoughts to you, Jackie. Anything else you'd like to add? Are you still there, Jackie?
3: I think Jackie may have dropped off the line.
1: Okay, Um, no worries. So if anyone would like to explore this further, Ryland, is as simple as going to uh, Spaces Shared online. What what should they do?
3: Yeah, they should go to www.spacesshared.ca. They can get all the information about how the process works. They can go to the sign-up page and start to create their profile. And Jackie's team is, of course, available by phone if folks have questions.
1: I appreciate the time this morning. Good luck. Stay in touch.
3: Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure. Take good care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. That's Rylan Ryland his CEO and co-founder, along with Jackie Tanner, who's a ger- gerontological social worker and also the co-founder of Spaces Shared. All right, that's a good one. Before we get to the break, let's go to line number five. Good morning, Judy. You're on the air. Good
6: morning, Patty. How are you
1: today? Couldn't be better. How about you?
6: Oh, pretty good. I just wanted to uh, let anyone know that uh, they're um, missing a dog or a dog kind of snuck out somewhere Um, heading down on uh, Tolt Road there, heading toward the um, Thorburn Road. There was a black and white um, medium-sized dog, nice and fluffy. He wouldn't come to me, but um, if anybody is losing a dog, I did see one there probably about 20 minutes ago. So
1: that thought I'd pass that on. Yep. Toll Road in in Cove. So if your black and white, medium-sized, puffy-looking dog is missing, that's where the dog is roaming. I appreciate this, Judy. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. You too. All right. Bye-bye. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we've been speaking with Tina Neri and uh, Kimberly Churchill and Fred Hutton, who are running for the, the NDP and the Liberals and the Tories, and Daryl Harding. He's the fourth name on the ballot. He's running as an independent progressive conservative. He's on the line right after this. Don't go away.
0: Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your requests to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the show. Just in reference to that conversation we had
1: about spaces shared. Interesting observation and I guess question posed by uh, an emailer uh, Talk about the fact that rental income may indeed impact things like your access to the provincial drug program. Because rental income is taxable income. In this country, you'll be taxed at your own the same marginal tax rate, but yes indeed. If indeed you are uh, bringing in rental income, it has to be filed as part of your taxes annually. So uh, the monthly payment from your property is classified as earned income, so that's a good question and a consideration that Jeff brings up via email if you are a senior who's so inclined to explore it further. All right, let's go to line number three. Say so good morning to the fourth candidate on the ballot running as a progressive, conservative, independent. That's Daryl Harding. Good morning, Daryl. You're on the air.
5: How you doing? The last shall be first, buddy, and the first shall
1: be last. I only say fourth because you were the fourth person to announce, not yeah, ranking. No, and- no worries, buddy, I understand. Thanks
5: for taking the call, buddy.
1: No problem. So let's just step back a little bit. And I asked Tony Wakeham as recently as yesterday in this program about whether or not the vote may indeed be split. But before we get to that, what specifically were your concerns about how Tina Neri was selected? Because the party says the process was as normal as usual for all of the candidates that have been selected by elections and generals. What was your problem or issue with it?
5: Uh, well, in fact, with all due respect, Patty, uh, that's an internal issue that I sent a letter off to the party about, and I really don't want to make it an election issue here uh, because it's not fair to the uh, to the candidate herself. Uh, uh, we will have this conversation, I, I promise you, but I don't think it's sound, and I don't think it's respectful to have it uh, during a campaign like this. But but I'll follow up with you for sure. I think that's fair, don't you? Uh,
1: Fair enough. It's up to you whether or not you'd like to uh, discuss it any further. So, you know, as the former president of the District Association, I think it's fair to say that you are all in for the priority, all in for the progressive conservatives. There may indeed be the concept or the possibility for a PC stronghold for the last 20 years to maybe see some of the fracture of the vote because you have someone who's been known as a PC, running as an independent PC, but also a PC candidate on the ballot
5: itself. What are your thoughts on that potential? No, that's that's a great question and uh And I deal with it through every phone call and every knock at the door and i've dealt with it through every interview that i've had. People will say to me at the door, "Darrell, how come you're not running for the for the p c party and i and I explained to them the situation that I wasn't planning on on running at all um, and uh, had no had sent that out in social media long before even the uh, the process for selecting candidates was, uh, was began, but what I do at Every Door is I explain that I'm not the candidate for the PC party of Newfoundland Labrador, that I am promoting myself as a historical person with the goals and values that I have, which are progressive and which are conservative, and the I'll call it a bonus or the addition of being a, a very socially conscious person. So I lay out uh, I lay out my plan to them and, and give them my reading material and answer any questions that I have so that there's no confusion um, and uh, I believe the other party is doing exact, or the other candidate is doing exactly the same thing so it's about it's about education it's about information, and the very first you know very first inclination someone would have would be well, class you're gonna cut into somebody's self and uh, I basically put myself out there. I'm a homegrown guy that, you know, I have a family. I've had to face difficult decisions in my life. I've had ups. I've had downs. I've had to sit at the table with my wife and, and, and change our, change our uh, track into the future because of different things that have happened. And we've had to make some difficult decisions. So I'm throwing myself out there. I'm not doing an anti-vote. I'm not promoting myself as something that I'm not. And uh, I respect the people's decision and I hope that they respect my platform. You know, we've,
1: you know, had discussions with other candidates and they speak to some issues that they hear at the door. I haven't knocked on the doors for, uh, in Conception East, Bell Island, or for that matter, for any voting district. So it's always the same ones on people's minds. You know, it'll be transportation, notably in that district will be the ferry system connecting Bell Island with the mainland. Then it's uh, health care in general and the roads and snow clearing and all the rest. If you had to prioritize an issue that you think is the number one concern in, in Conception East, Bell Island, what is it?
5: well, it's unique, and there's there's not just one main concern there's three municipalities in central East Bell Island, and each of those have their own very serious concerns, and they also share some serious concerns so i'll just I'll just give you uh, my thought on it, and if you want to ask me about one of them is great, I won't go into too much too much detail because uh, you have other callers coming so Paradise right now is busing out fifteen hundred school students every day to schools outside there district outside their municipality so obviously that would be my my uh, what i'm hearing is my major concern to help win in that uh, municipality with that issue bell island is a it's a unique it's a unique situation on bell island god love them they have a drinking water station over there which gives them filter drinking water for drinking and cooking with but when they turn their taps on to wash their clothes or to get a shower or to get a bath or to wash their dishes it comes out in a thick Brown, murky emulsion. And uh, that needs to be addressed. If you recall, recently, the provincial government did a random test of wells. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure if they did community wells, but they did wells. People could send in their water and they found prevalence of high content of arsenic, uh, heavy metals, soft metals. And over on Bell Island, uh, the water source itself, uh, the reasoning is the, the, uh, the sludge in the pipes and it's too expensive to replace the pipes so my goal would be to look for capital works funding for bell island to reline the pipes a lot less expensive don't have to dig up the pipes and if there's an issue with manganese or other soft and heavy metals well that's a filtration issue and we can look for some federal grant monies uh, some provincial monies some municipal monies and some federal grant monies can be leveraged from that to deal with the water issue um, the transportation, the big need there is they need someone on the shore that they can call when there's an issue. Uh, it's no good to have someone picking up the phone and calling and it goes to voicemail at the Confederation Building or, heaven forbid, out to the office in Fogel. It, it It makes no sense. They need someone on the, uh, on the shore there. Portugal Cove, St. Philip. I would like to see and I, and I want to let you know that everybody, every single door has said this. When are we going to get water and sewer? Two-thirds of the town of Portugal Cove, St. Phillips is done well in septic. We've had green teams show us the impact of having septic fields to the volume that we have and the waiting lots that are approved, over 300 of them, which will will be do adding to the septic field. So I would like to look for capital works funding from the provincial government and then leverage that for federal grants to finish the loop, what I call, down Portugal Cove Road, up Beach Cove Road um down over tucker's hill up Thorburn road across bennett's and out old broad Cove road that gives people then an opportunity to tie into that trunk uh to tie in for water and sewer services to clean up our our town and to give everybody safe possible drinking water um and then the 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 one big united one that i'm hearing is we need police presence and we need a public health clinic to service our people like we had before for mental health addiction um for people that are contemplating harming themselves or others, and uh, more than just a place to go in to get a prescription. Um, And I think that will be done in the future at some point when uh, people of like minds can sit down and collaborate and make it happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've got an attachment with the Cove, and I was down there one day last week, I'll say, uh, heading towards the ferry right there on Convenience Store Row, and buddy, the there's nowhere to walk, number one, and there was two cars coming back to back to back that were absolutely flying. I'm gonna guess they were going 90 kilometers an hour on a pretty, uh, pretty tangly piece of road there with people walking on both sides, and of course, just on the shoulder of the road, no such thing as a sidewalk so police presence might slow down some of the folks who are going around like a bat out of hell on that stretch of road. Uh, Daryl, I appreciate the time this morning. Good luck on the trail.
5: Yeah, no worries, buddy. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity and say hi to your listeners and to the other candidates for me. All the best.
1: Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Daryl Harding running as an independent PC on the ballot. Of course, the by-election is on Monday, January 29th. Let's take a break. Catherine, you're next to talk about pet adoption. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number four. Good morning, Catherine. You're on the air.
7: Good morning, Patty. Um, Not quite sure where to start. I adopted a cat from one of the adoption agencies in St. John's a little over a year ago. I'm just wanting to let people know that they should be very careful of where they get their their pet from and to make sure that the pet has had a recent medical exam. When I adopted my cat, I was told that she was healthy, that all her medical issues had been taken care of, but that they could reoccur. That I was happy with. The unfortunate part for me was that within two weeks of having her, I had to take her to my own vet only to find out that the issues they told me that were resolved and that might occur sometime down the road, she still had. So she was not a healthy cat when they put her for adoption or when I adopted her. Now, Patty, I'm on social assistance, so I don't have a lot of funds, but to date, this cat has cost me over $1,500 just to get one of the two issues resolved. I still have to come up with somewhere between $2,000 to $5,000 for the second issue, So this is why I just wanted to make people aware that just because they're saying that the animal is healthy, it may not be. And you should take it with a grain of salt, maybe even have it, if possible, take it to a vet before the final adoption or ask them to take it to a vet for a final checkup just to make sure because I feel that if I had not adopted this cat, had somebody else taken her, she would have either been brought back or been euthanized. And I will not. I made a promise, and people will think I'm crazy, but I made a promise to that cat that she was going to her forever home and that I would do everything within my power to make her healthy and happy.
1: Uh, And good on you. And it's fair warning. And unfortunately, while you're telling us your story... My family went through something very, very similar uh, when we adopted a beagle uh, here locally as well, and it turns out the the dog was unhealthy, unbeknownst to us. And we thought we had asked all the right questions, and the dog looked quite healthy, you know, as far as you can tell with an eyeball exam. So I understand entirely where you're coming from. So when you were told that issues were resolved, and you don't have to tell the issue that is plaguing your cat and costing you this type of money, but When they say, well, no, it's been addressed. Was that the end of the conversation or was, you know, there was a a pharmaceutical intervention or there was a surgery or a procedure or something? Did they elaborate on what might have been a concern that they say had been resolved?
7: They told me that she had had, and I don't mind stating, she had had an ear infection and that it was resolved. That's the one that cost me over $1,500 to get resolved. The issue that I still have to resolve is getting her the remainder of her teeth out. They took out some, but they left some because obviously you don't want an animal with no teeth. But when I took her to my vet, I the vet that I saw said that she had these issues before they put her for adoption.
1: Uh, it's fair enough and I don't know what kind of documentation because I'm trying to think back to my own personal experience to just add a layer to this conversation even though that might be unnecessary so when you asked, do they give you something like in paper where you can see you know when the most recent shots were administered or whatever other whatever else was done to address any health concerns or was it simply word of mouth
7: no I do that I had was word of mouth but they also gave me paperwork stating this was done and what day and so on but uh, again I'll just go back for my vet to turn around and say that they that she had these issues before I signed the final papers, I feel that a vet should have had a look at her to make sure that she was healthy before they finally let me take her home.
8: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I'm sorry that it happened to you. I hope you're both doing okay. Anything else you'd like to add to it this morning, Catherine?
7: No, just like I said, Now, don't take me wrong, Patty. I understand these animal shelters. They do fantastic work. I support them. You know, they, they take these animals in off the streets. They keep them warm. They feed them. They do do medical work on them. But it's just to put it out there for people to be weary and to, like I say, if possible, to ask them for a medical checkup before they sign that final paper
1: fair enough and fair warning i appreciate the time catherine thanks for doing this
7: you're welcome have a nice
1: day you too bye-bye Bye. Bye. uh it's a good i don't know if buyer beware is the right way to put it but you really have to know what you're getting yourself into and there's lots of considerations in addition to the health of the animal you know there's really a lot more to having a pet than meets the eye sometimes so anyway let's keep rolling let's go to line number five good morning edmund you're on the air That was quick. Uh, That was his, he dropped on his end. I'm not sure what happened. But, you know, Catherine makes a good point. And on our front, you know, we haven't gone back to the well to get another pet because it was, as anyone who's ever had a a pet, in this case it was a dog, it's amazing how quickly they become a big part of the house. And people will say a big part of the family. So, little Ozzy the Beagle. You know, it was the strangest circumstances. So, we had brought home one of the beagles that was part of the litter, and then to be told that we took the wrong dog. So, that was all strange enough. That was the very next day. Brought it back, took the dog that was apparently supposed to be ours, and about a month later, experiencing some seizures, and the dog had epilepsy and didn't last much longer. And the other Beagle lives in my neighbourhood and is still around. I mean, as you know, if you've lived through it, it really knocks the wind out of yourselves. sails. Uh, let's go to line one and see if we can get Edmund this time. Edmund, you're on the air.
9: Hello, good morning.
1: Good morning to you. Welcome to the
9: show. Thank you. Um, my concern is, is uh, I have a brother in a care home, actually. He was uh, removed from my mother's care um, and was at the time, you know... Uh, the right thing to do because he do suffer from some issues with his, uh not, he has severe ADHD, among a few other things there. But uh, what concerns me is, is I sat back for the last eight to nine months and uh, listened to my mother's concerns, listened to my brother's concerns, and lately my concerns are getting... um a little deeper for me because my brother is starting to mention and tell me that uh, he's being abused at this care home. Um, you know, uh, being made fun of for his facial tics that comes from his medication. Um, at one point, one worker told him, "You know, with one punch, I could send you to heaven." Um, there's there is another issue that seems like a sexual assault to me. The, the worker was let go, but there was no criminal charges laid. Um, I'd like to really know where I can turn to to get this care home investigated. I turned to the provincial omb- ombudsman yesterday, and where it's a private care home, um, unfortunately, they really can't step in. Uh, I tried calling a lawyer. Um, you know, they, they said they really can't step in until an investigation is done to see if there is any abuse going on. But it concerns me that my, my little brother here <clears throat> he has enough challenges as it is and he probably is in a good place in a care home but I would prefer to be in a place in a care home where I don't have to be concerned about abuse yeah of course (laughs) now my mother has been banging her head against the wall with CSSD um, with our own government unfortunately because at this point in our agreements our own government should have support and systems in place to help us with these kind of things. My brother shouldn't have to be in a care home in on the island part of our province. My brother should be in a care home um, in our own territory of Nunavut. And I really believe that if there's any kind of uh, concern by his family that there may be abuse going on at this place there, and I know there's other families out there. I know there's other families with uh, with people like my brother there that are going through the same thing. And they're probably beating their heads against the same wall, you know? Because with mental health, uh, you know, the poor old patient is never, never, never believed. And I could I could see that just by one day of trying to advocate for my brother that, uh, you know, there, there's not much of a chance unless someone who knows what they're doing, steps in and helps my family.
1: Edmund, it's frustrating and it can be quite uh, saddening as well. So your thoughts regarding the way he's being treated, assaulted or sexually assaulted, he's reporting these circumstances to you or how exactly is that working out where you have this mindset?
9: Well, I I made some phone calls yesterday. My brother, he won't open up to everybody. And um, I guess the social worker got a little bit irate with me. Um, She said I was being unreasonable. But all I'm asking for is if there is a possibility that my brother is being abused, that it should be looked into. You know, even if it concludes that he's not being abused, at least it was looked into.
1: Have you spoken to the administrator of the care home itself?
9: I tried to call her actually yesterday. I left a message with a lady there. She was, apparently she was going to get back to me, but I've never received a phone call, which seems to be the norm as well with my mother. At first, like when my mother reached out to CBC, all of a sudden she got all these phone calls. And, and now it rolled over there again. Now, now they're not returning the calls and stuff like that there. Um, I actually, I shouldn't have done it, but I asked, my brother said, the guy that told me he was gonna punch me and put me in heaven is here now. So I asked him to put him on the phone, and all I asked him was what gives you the right to abuse my brother, and he hung up on me.
1: um when i when we say goodbye here edmund i'm going to put you on hold yep. give dave the information about uh, the name of the home and stuff so i can follow up personally just to see if they're willing to respond to me and if and when we can't get any traction and or ensure that you and or your mother get a return phone call we can address it a little further in more detail here on the
9: show That would be greatly appreciated, you know, because I know there's many, many, many families out there going through issues with with a family member with uh, mental illness and and challenges there. Um, They're still human beings as well, you know. Um, They still have a right to have a certain level of, uh, you you know, a, a decent life, you know. They shouldn't be made fun of for facial tics that are being, you know, caused by medications and stuff and... It, it it's not right for to be happening if it is happening you know i I'm not gonna draw any conclusions until there's an investigation done, and I'm not gonna make no assumptions until there's an investigation done, but yesterday that's what I tried to ask for with the people that I called, and I didn't get no headway with it, so I can imagine my mother's frustration you know after a couple of years of it um this all started from my brother when he was in grade seven, you know back when the a d h d was very uh you know, um, misunderstood there and uh, my mother was given a choice you know we're going to throw that boy out in grade 7 unless you put him on pills and then that's where all the problems begin. You know he's been put on pills that's put him in comas. I've had to leave home here in Hopeville rush out to Hopeville to, think, uh, to St. John's thinking my brother was going to die because doctors are fighting with his pills so much. You know he's been on so many different types of medications now um, we feel like that he's a guinea pig you know.
1: It becomes a long cycle of reliance on pharmaceuticals sometimes. That type of intervention has long been a part of reasonable debate. Edmund, I am going to put you on hold. Give David the additional information I'm looking for. Let me see what I can figure yeah. out. Let me see if I can get you a return call. I appreciate it. You take good care of yourself. Okay. Yes, you do. There you go. Edmund is on hold. Dave, you get that info from me, i appreciate it. Uh, before we get to the news, let's go to line number two. Sean, you're on the air. Hi, Sean. You're on the air.
10: Okay, thanks. How are you doing?
1: Doing okay. How about you?
10: Pretty good, thanks. But someone's not. Uh, I often come in and go on the trail and CBS along the ocean there, even today. It's not Even though it's windy, it's still really nice there. And I picked up a key. Uh, en français, my, my, mon ami, it says, bonjour, ça va bien. And it looks like a house key. So maybe someone's not getting into their, back into their house. So... Uh, I just want to put this on the air, and uh, if they want to find the key, they can call me, and I'll get it to them uh, wherever they are, and it's uh, 709-746-0500.
1: It's a very distinctive key chain, so obviously that would be easily recognizable for whoever has indeed lost it. So if you have lost your key chain, maybe on that CBS trail, Sean has it, and his number is 746-0500. Cool. Thanks for That's this, fine. Sean. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, right, there you go. You lost your key, likely a house key. We got it. All right, let's take a break for the news. When we come back, plenty of show left to speak with you on a topic of your choosing. Don't go away.
0: Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The cabin party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Welcome back to the program.
1: Well, we've talked about the fact that the negotiating team representing the allied health professionals have walked away from collective bargaining. Join us online, number one, is the president of the Association of Allied Health Professionals. That's Gord Pearcy. Good morning, Gord. You're on the air.
11: Good morning, Patty. How are you? Doing okay.
1: How about you? How are you doing?
11: Well, it's been an interesting week, I will tell you that. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I figured I'd wrap up the week by uh, having a quick conversation with you and giving you a little bit of an update and uh, maybe have a little chat about a certain issue in particular. But, uh, you know, great to join you here this morning.
1: Happy to have you on the show. I assume the issue we're going to talk about first is the whole issue regarding the job evaluation system. Exactly how does it work and where are the gaps or the shortcomings?
11: So, Patty, you know the job evaluation system is a huge stumbling block for us, and that's kind of where why we're at the impasse we're at right now. We, that's a ten-year dilemma that has happened, and I know, I know. The public might find that really overwhelming to understand. It's a lot to explain, and there is a lot there. But it's been a 10-year problem for our membership where some paid disparities were created a a long time ago, and they continue to to widen. They they are tending to get deeper as time moves on. General wage increases, other things do tend to broaden that disparity that's created. I'll give you one quick example because, again, I know it's kind of hard to wrap. You know, it's a lot to wrap your head around. But I'll give you one quick example. Our medical flight team there there are members, many of them are are registered nurses by training, but they're part of our union because they're working in the classification of medical flight specialists and you know we have those members who uh, could be making a, a significantly higher wage. Uh, simply by leaving their medical flight position and taking an RN position in any one of our health facilities. Now, I know there's been a lot of conversation this week about recruitment and retention, in particular with that team It's across all our members, but with the medical flight team, we are at a point where recruitment is not even catching up to the loss of uh, people who are choosing to walk away from those positions. So again, it's that little bit of a conversation that we've been having this week, and I know you've been talking to other union leaders, Uh, about the whole piece of recruitment catching up to retention and all that it's complicated and that's just one quick example there are many other anomalies inside of our membership but that's just one that's a really quick one for people to kind of understand
1: it certainly is but you know not only is it easy to understand why that would be a problem for you and your members but it is difficult to understand why it could be a decade-old issue so inside like is this a job description or is this something different
11: well, th- that's interesting too because what happened, basically, Patty, it's the application of pay grids, and uh, they, that's what's created some disparity. So, again, in the media briefing with uh, Minister Cody the other day, there was, a, I believe, it was a Telegram reporter who actually highlighted some of the disparities with, with points. So, positions are evaluated, and they're given a point score. And this is government's. This is their thing. This is this is their thing they've created to evaluate jobs across the entire public service, whether it's healthcare, whether it's core government, whether it's Any other agencies uh, and so forth it's their system and jobs are evaluated and some jobs are you know very close in point values or, or not far away but there has been issues with application of pay grids and it has created really broad disparities so again the medical flight team that is one that jumps out really really big you know these are people highly skilled specialists Basically running a hospital in the air, looking after people who are very compromised. It's a critical care environment, to be quite honest with you. And they're moving people all across this, you know, huge province, because we are, we're fairly geographically spread out. And it is creating a lot of, uh, it's creating a lot of difficulty. We've been trying to address this issue for a number of years, even as far back as 2018, 2019. The pandemic got in the way a little bit there. Uh, but we really feel, our members feel that is this is the time for us to address this right now.
1: You know, it sounds like it would not be necessarily a complicated issue, but it might be a time-consuming issue. Was part of the negotiation setting a targeted date for when this job evaluation system would be rectified to your members' approval? Say, you know, in six months, and if it's not done, then we take the strike vote that day. Or is it simply that has to be addressed before there's any uh, pen to paper to sign a collective bargaining deal?
11: Well, Patty, we you know we feel like we need to. Our members feel like they need change now, and we know how government processes act. Uh, they're often slow, and we you know we are looking change. You know, our theme has been change cannot wait. We are looking for something now. We have an acknowledgement from government that there are problems here. So, even on their side, they're acknowledging that there are. There are inherent problems here, and, you know, Minister Cody said the other day that they've put a proposal to us, but, you know, we just can't ask our members to keep waiting while, you know, recruitment remains a struggle, Uh, retirements are happening, we need to bring in new talent, the whole piece of, you know, we can look at recruitment being good. But if you're just if, if your recruitments are only bringing in people you know you're just losing people on the other end like you know yourself you're not catching up
1: no it's you're all about net gain people. it's not about just numbers at the high level
11: especially with some of the numbers petty where we already have vacancy the health accord, this government this is our this is our blueprint for the future Allied health professionals are all through that document and if we need new people, we just can't be stuck in a cycle of trying to replace what's walking through the door on the other end so we're really you know that's our that's a struggle we're having too because I feel like ourselves the union and government like I think we are a mutual uh, piece of concern there that we need to you know we, we had the same goal we just need to get government to look at this piece and it has to be a timely response if we're going to do anything with recruitment and retention
1: when we talk about respect in the workplace, is when you make that reference, that is, is it simply about the job evaluation system and the disparity in pay, or is there more to that concept of a lack of respect?
11: Patty, there, you know, there, there are a lot of issues pervasive across the system, and that has been a, a huge conversation that our members are having and that we, we, has been part of our negotiations. So, workloads and workplace culture has been huge for our membership. Um So we're really trying to get that out there, too. Unfortunately, over time, you know, we had some proposals that we thought were innovative and progressive. We, you know, over time, we kind of pulled some of those away because we felt like we just had to get to some of the core issues. We're hoping and we're always trying to champion with the employer that we need to do a better job of, of, you know, responding to some of the members' needs. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, even beyond collective bargaining, that's something we're going to be, uh, be, you know, um, working with. Minister Cody mentioned the other day about you know respect uh, and respectful processes. I will tell you quite honestly, as, as as a frontline healthcare worker and even part of our negotiations, I haven't always felt respected, uh, and it's it's been a challenge for sure. Uh, and Patty, I guess the other thing I'd, I'd, I'd like to bring some attention to today that's concerning for us is, you know, just referring back to Minister Cody's media briefing on Wednesday afternoon, early afternoon, I I think you know she went to the media and discussed our our impasse. I want to draw a little bit of attention. We're 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 a little bit distressed to be quite honest about some comments that she made during that media briefing. And she alluded to the fact that there are other people with similar qualifications to our membership inside the employer, the employer being, of course, NL Health Services. We're really not sure, Patty, what she meant by that, but it's been very distressing for us. So, you know, what is, you know, is is that a belief or some kind of action that they may ask people to do work of the AHP bargaining unit if they find themselves in a legal strike position or in a job action? Um, Very distressing for us extremely concerning. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people and and not just our membership with other parties as well over the last couple of days. So I'm actually going to put something out here now. Uh, This is significant for us and We'd like to hear from the premier on this, directly from the premier on this, because when you're starting to talk about people with similar qualifications and, and you know, are we alluding to substituting people in to do work of the AHP bargaining unit should a job action occur? Like, as, as you and I know, there's that that's not really well regarded in, in labor circles and such. So we're wondering, is... Is this the philosophy of the Liberal Party that they would engage in something like this? And is this how the Fury government would actually react and respond in the event of a public service bargaining unit finds themselves in a job action position? It's very distressing for us. I've had contact yesterday with professional regulatory bodies who are kind of wondering what this is about. I know that um, you know, we have other labor groups. Um, you know, who are very kind of curious what, the, what was meant by that comment. And we would like the premier, as head of this government, to provide some clarity on Minister Cody's comments. We're, we're quite stressed by it. You
1: know, in other walks of life, there may indeed be the thought of a replacement worker. People are happy to call them scabs. But in the 800-plus members that you represent, there's probably not people to backfill, even if there is a job action.
11: Absolutely, Patty. That is, you know, so what we will always say, and we know, you know, there are, there are members, of, you know, have other representations, stuff like that. But I can assure you as a health professional inside the system myself, everyone is flat out. Everyone is flat out. And we actually feel it's really disrespectful to even put that out there, even from their perspective, because they... Everyone's flat out, they got their own jobs to do, Patty. There's no one sitting around with nothing to do, I can assure you. So, you know, there's no overflow of allied health professionals. There are, you know, this is, these are regulated health professions. So these are people who work, you know, under licensure or registration, professional registration. They work under protected titles, so you can't send anyone into to just, just anyone in to be a pharmacist or a physiotherapist. Protected titles, you know, protected scopes of practice, things of that nature. So, again, from that perspective, we'd love to hear the premier's thoughts on that. This, Given that he's a licensed health professional himself, I'm, I, I would imagine he's fairly in tune with that as well, being a physician. So we would really like to hear the Premier's uh, thoughts on this, you know, and from his perspective as a health professional himself. But certainly, as the leader of this government, as the head, you know, as, as the leader of the, the Liberal Party of this province, is this there going to be the problem-solving that we are going to see if we find ourselves in a legal strike uh, job action, strike position? And that's distressing for any Public service union in this province, not just us. Like that's that's going down a very slippery slope, Patty, as as you well, as, as we both know.
1: Sure, and I mean on the federal front, they've actually brought in anti-replacement worker legislation for those federally regulated sites. So that's an interesting move as well. Uh, last one. So Minister Cody has asked Labor Minister Davis to appoint a mediator. Is that something you welcome?
11: Uh, well, Patty, I, you know we're still kind of exploring. We're having some conversations. That was completely new to us. That we learned about that. Allied Health learned about that during that media briefing, just like everyone else in the province who listened to that media briefing. That was that was new information for us. Uh, we will welcome. Anything where we can continue to have respectful conversation, respectful communication, that we can um, we can you know propose things back and forth and get responses to those proposals. We are always ready. We are ready, willing, and able to talk at any time where we can continue to engage in a respectful uh, back and forth process. Uh, our members want that from us. We do not want to put the healthcare system of this province in peril. We absolutely do not want that, and we are we are willing to have those conversations. Whoever can be brought into that mix, uh, you know, we are we are uh, you know we're we're willing to work with whoever. But I will say, we would absolutely love for the premier to provide some clarity on those comments from Wednesday. Because uh, we think that going forward, that will be significant for us. So, again, I'm putting that out there, Patty. I am leaving that in your capable hands. Maybe you'll hear from the premier today. Maybe you and him have a conversation. Uh, but we really feel like the members of AHP deserve an answer on that. We feel like the workers, unionized or not, in this province deserve a little bit of clarity on that particular um, on that particular notion that was put forward by uh, the president's treasury board
1: fair enough last one Gord. so you know even if you call for a strike vote and the majority vote in favor of taking job action doesn't mean you automatically have to but are you going to call for a strike vote because that is certainly one of the negotiating levers that's available to you
11: Absolutely. And Patty, again, just kind of tying back to the whole piece around, you know, work of the bargaining unit and what would happen. We, you know, uh, we see ourselves taking a strike vote. One of the things that's kind of putting a little bit of, you know, giving us a bit of a lag right there now is that we are obligated to, uh, you know, to sort out an essential services agreement uh, before we, uh, you know, can take a strike vote. And that, you know, there's, you know, there's Protocols around that and legislation. I think that supports that. So we are working. You know, we're putting every effort we can to get that done. You know, so and that's the other thing. We are working on an essential service agreement. So you know, healthcare being a vital public service, emergency service, all of that. This union, our union, is actively working on the essential services agreement to ensure that there are urgent and emergent services available from our membership, directly from our membership, in the event that AAHP takes strike action. So, you know, that's out there. And we know, you know, and all of the public service unions who provide urgent and emergent services, not just in healthcare, but right across all government services, that's a piece that's done. So we are actively engaging in that process. So, again, when I think about the context and the work that our you know, our union has put into creating a uh, appropriate essential service agreement so that services can continue for the province. I'm even, you know, again, that adds more distress to my uh, my thinking when I'm processing Minister Cody's comments. So, you know, again, we don't want... We don't want a, a labor disruption. Uh, we like our members would like to just be able to work on. We'd actually like to get this distraction out of out of our lives. <laughs> we'd like to deliver a, a good collective agreement to the to the members. It's always been my statement that a strong, competitive collective agreement is the very best recruitment and retention tool this province can hope to have, and we would like to see this brought to uh, brought to a, con- a conclusion. But I'd really like to hear the Premier's comments on Minister Cody's assertions from Wednesday afternoon.
1: Gord, I appreciate the time. Keep us in the loop when possible, and thanks for this.
11: Thank you so much, Patty. I always enjoy our conversations, and I have no doubt you and I'll be talking again in the near future. I look forward to it. Stay in touch.
1: Thanks so much. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Gord Piercy is the president of the Association of Allied Health Professionals. Let's take a break. When we come back, Dan's here to talk about doctor shortages, and Kevin's got a bouquet to throw. To who? We'll find out. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go, line number three. Kevin, you're on the air.
12: Well, good day there. How's everything in St. John's?
1: Pretty fair. Looks like it's starting to be darkening skies, a bit blustery out there, but all in all, not too bad. How about Cornerbrook?
12: Well, not bad today. Not bad. The storm is still bad, but it's not compared to yesterday, but still everything's closed and that sort of stuff. But today, I'd like to give, uh, uh, I guess, a big thanks to... Uh, the Cornerbrook City sewer, water sewer uh, guys that solved a big problem for me yesterday. So I'm not so stressed as I was yesterday at this point time. And uh, I guess I would really like to thank them and the professionalism and all that sort of thing. And I started this on Wednesday, started this on Wednesday, and then the department explained to me what I had to do. And I come up yesterday to an exploratory dig to solve the problem and with the weather in Cornerbrook yesterday I didn't think it was going to go ahead but the team there went to work and put it together and it was well coordinated and uh, I thought it was quite impressive and uh, it was amazing it was like there was just three or four pieces of equipment put together two, three dump trucks, exploratory dig, road tore up problem solved, closed back up and I slept last night much better than I did the night before
1: So what was the result so- of the dig? What did they find?
12: Oh, it was a pipe, but the pipe was uh, broke, it was a sewer blockage there. was past connection, was uh, w- was improperly done. Instead of a six inch pipe put in, a four inch pipe was put in there and made a restriction in the uh, sewer pipe going to the residence, which was causing a, a, a backup in the, in, in the residence, right? But on Wednesday, we were talking to the, the organizer of the store department and said, this is probably what we're going to have to do. This is the avenue that we're going to have to go. And we didn't know what we are going to find as such, but uh, we went with that. But yesterday, the weather out there, yesterday was absolutely horrendous. And uh, the boys come out and done the dig, coordinated, closed the road off, done the dig. And I guess the attitude of the crew was there, was what really, really resonates with me, and it was amazing. And I think if I knew it, uh, Discovery Channel, they call it Dirtiest Jobs. Is that the program of the Discovery Channel?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah.
12: And if I knew that phone number, uh, I would be calling them and not you. <laughs> 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 i think <laughs> like the, the attitude of the guys, just and the work there, and man, it, it wasn't like half work. Like it was two pieces of equipment involved, two jumped up and called. Then uh, when they found the problem, then they had to uh, bring in the vacuum truck to get, uh, the uh, the sewer that was there, so they can actually work. And this was in that snowstorm yesterday
1: yeah I saw some pictures from the West Coast yesterday. It looked like it was awful, and then, of course, the concerns that people are talking about with what remained open, like for instance, schools in particular, schools open for the entire day, but the buses came off the road. People having a hard time getting home. I mean, there was a lot of mess.
12: Yeah. I Well, yesterday I went to. Uh, I was in a, uh, for dinner because uh, I went down to. The I was watching the guys their work, and I was just, you know, all my the, the efficiency and uh, the attitude of the guys. Just dirtiest jobs. Discovery Channel. They should've been there. They should've been there. Um, so I ended up going to, uh, to McDonald's yesterday for dinner, and. uh I went to work and listened to somebody little lived in Steadybrook and road from Cornerbrook to Steadybrook Brook it was closed, to their knowledge, and they were wondering how they were going to get home. And uh, I, I didn't understand I, just, I think that's the first time I lived around my life, and I think that's the first time I heard the road closed. If it was closed, or maybe it was a recommendation, I'm not really sure on that one. But it wasn't a very nice day yesterday at all here. Yeah, was, no.
1: when the wind's blowing and, of course, you get a r- different kind of snow out in Cornerbrook than we get here. We get heavy, wet, mm. slushy muck, and, of mm. course, generally yeah, speaking, yeah. a little bit more fluffy, it's when the wind is blowing and the squalls yeah. are wicked someone sent me yeah. a, a video yesterday and it was i think they were going towards Cornerbrook, around steady brook and the passenger of mm-hmm. the vehicle sent me the video you couldn't see the front of the yeah.
12: hood oh no no it was, it was bad and i can't believe the number of people to were driving around i thought because i was over in, in Cornerbrook. Because I live, I live in the, on the North Shore, but I was in Kootenay working on this or just watching the boys, just and that sort of stuff. And uh, everybody's using flashers on that, right? Uh, which, is, which was, you know, you had to. It was not, it was nuts. It, was, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. But anyway, I greatly appreciate what they've done, and uh, I slept last night.
1: <laughs> and I'm sure they appreciate the uh, kind review this morning, Kevin. Thanks for the call.
12: But, uh, you're very welcome. And then, uh, like I said, bo- uh, bouquet of roses, too. You re- uh, really deserve it. Okay. Thanks. You're welcome. Have a great day. You That's too, All
1: right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Yeah, I mean, there was a holy mess out there. And look, you know, the whole issue of weather-related closures in schools, it's a bit of, and this is not supportive of or condemnation of because it's, I'm glad it's not my call to make in the morning, but it is a lot of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Now, there's been some highly questionable closures in the recent past here where the weather really didn't require any closure of schools, but let's just say you leave them open. You know, if the schools were told that the buses are coming off the road isn't that the cue to shut the school down because if you're going to have the school open that requires all the moving parts including getting to and from school in when we talk about schools and school closures. Here's an announcement that you might be anticipating here. We'll give it to you right now. Uh, Schools in the Upper Trinity South area will close for the remainder of the day. The affected schools include Crescent Collegiate in Blaketown, Whitburn Elementary, Holy Family Elementary in Chapel Arm, Ackerman Elementary in Greens Harbor, and Woodland Elementary in Dildo. When we come back, Don's right there. Appreciate his patience. He wants to talk about doctor shortages. Don't go away
0: your voice in newfoundland and labrador's biggest conversation
1: if you want
6: to know what's happening in your province tune in to open line every day
0: have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m on open line with patty daly on your vocm
1: welcome back to the program let's go to line number two don you're on the air morning patty how are you doing there doing okay don how are you doing
8: i'm good thanks today, take my call i'm in the person but i was a doctor for almost two years and uh, Monday past I was out seeing a nurse practitioner in a, a new clinic being set up in Cabernet. Yep. And it's, uh, they, it's a division of uh, Eastern Health, they call it the primary health care for Conception Bay North. And uh, I was only in waiting about five minutes. They're well set up and very efficient. And the nurse practitioner tells me, They're going to be taking uh, up to
1: 6,500 new patients, Paddy. The McLabner of Care Clinic, that's where I have a family doctor as well, the one here on Monday Pan Road in town. It's it can absolutely be a big part of easing some of the wait times and the family doctor shortages, number of patients without a family doctor. The trick will always be whether or not we can hire new professionals to be the nurse practitioner, the LPN, the MD in the clinic versus just move someone from a practice in Mount Pearl to a practice on Monday Pond Road. So that's the trick. But they are absolutely going to be part of it.
8: And have you ever heard about that new clinic getting set up in here?: I have, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the nurse practitioner I saw said uh, there are a thousand patients into it now, Patty.
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm not surprised. I mean, there's different uh, roster, patient roster uh, hopes in some of these different clinics. I believe there's somewhere like 4,000 or so going to the clinic that I go to. So it, it's a good thing. And, you know, we had a representative, uh, Travis Shepard, from the Nurse Practitioners Association on the show yesterday simply because I think it will be helpful if people realize that there are options out there beyond simply having to see a family doctor. For instance, a nurse practitioner can do an awful lot of the things that we think are only done by by uh, family doctors or general practitioners so that's why we did that
8: yeah very efficient and you're on 15 um, industrial questions just back of uh, penny transport see my name came up a ago i was put on the uh, list through the eight one one of the yep and then my name came up in time and then then they got the phone call go down with the seat appointment right Anyway, thanks very much and have a great day.
1: You too, I appreciate the time. Bye bye. Thanks, Don. <clears throat> you know, I, for some bizarre reason, we got questioned, or I got questioned, pretty aggressively yesterday as if we're promoting one healthcare discipline over another. I don't know why anyone would think that's the case. The fact of the matter is, there are lots of different healthcare pros that might be able to do exactly what you need. I mean, because we all get used to the same thing, right? You have something that's wrong with you, and you think that the only option available is to go to a family doctor, when, in fact, you know, for instance, we're talking about the issue regarding invasive strep. So if you have something like that, that particular ailment or illness, you can absolutely be properly and well serviced by a nurse practitioner. So that's the reason why we had those types of conversations it's just for purpose of information you can do as you see fit if you don't think of nurse practitioner as the answer then I guess you'll wait on patient connect and or to get an opportunity to see the family doctor that you already have in addition one of the interesting things that Mr. Shepard said yesterday is you know the need to potentially mimic best practices from elsewhere he mentioned Alberta you know, there is a couple of sides to this. So a nurse practitioner can absolutely be the pro you need to see, but of course they're unable to set up shop and bill MCP directly, which I suppose the rationale and the thought behind that, if you're the provincial government, is that if and when that became a possibility, just how many nurse practitioners would be taken out of the public service fold that would decide to put out their own shingle, set up their own private clinic, as opposed to the number of nurse practitioners currently working in the system as it's currently designed. I suppose that's the reason as to why government hasn't moved down that path. Okay, let's go to line number one. Marie, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. Hi, Marie.
6: Um, I want to talk about uh, the uh, the news uh, was they put on CBC about having seniors, I don't know who came up with that bright idea, of having seniors take their home and renting it out to uh, uh,
1: Well, as a matter of fact, this morning our first call was was with the co-founders of Spaces Shared, uh, Ryland Kinnan and Jackie, what was Jackie's last name? I can't remember now off the top of my head. Jackie Tanner, who's a social worker. So it's already been in this province in the past. They currently operate in Ontario, B.C., and Alberta, but you don't think it's a good idea?
6: Definitely not. I think, uh, you know, uh, you work all your life uh, to get your home around you. And then they come up with these these uh, students or social workers or whoever's involved come up with the bright idea. Now what we're going to do? We're going to take their homes and we're going to put students in them. And uh, you know, uh, I don't. I think they're they're heading down the wrong road. Uh, Seniors are are taken advantage of in many ways, uh, abused in many ways, and this is just another way of the government abusing abusing our seniors I mean uh, the, uh, there's so many things Patty so many things that can go wrong here uh, yeah. you could have someone go into a senior's home and uh, if if uh, the senior doesn't have any family members they can take right over their home and uh, you know uh, I, I totally am in disagreement with this whole okay. scenario. Okay
1: but there's, there's plenty of guardrails that are put up but in addition to that Marie nobody has to do it if they don't want to this is something yeah, people I, will elect to do if they see fit.
6: Yeah, but uh, whoever got this notion in, into uh, the, the stance that it's in now, they need a head examined. I mean, uh, to do this to seniors, I think it's crazy.
1: Nobody's doing anything uh, to seniors, though. That's not what's happening here.
6: they seniors, asking seniors to take students into their homes.
1: No, they' are seniors they're giving people an option if they are so inclined and interested in exploring it to do it if they want no one's telling any senior they have to do this
6: well I hope I hope the seniors are out listening this morning and I, I'm going to put them wise you know uh, do not do not take this on there are so many things that can go wrong in this kind of scenario it's not even funny they can go in they can they can take over your home and uh, I, you know I, I speak from experience. Uh, I, I'm not dealing with students, but I'm dealing, I'm dealing with a, a, a person that I rented my home out to, and I'm a year trying to get them out of my home. Drugs involved, prostitution involved, and, you know, uh, uh, I, I've been put through hell and back. Hell and back. I, they, they even arrested me and put me in, in jail uh, trying to get this person out of my home, which is outrageous for our justice system to do that to a senior. Yeah. They've done, they done that to me. I
1: think the setup is a little bit different. And again, if people are not interested, then they needn't give it one more second of thought. Uh, but on that front, you know, it might be, let's just say, for instance, I am a senior. I am doing well. I wouldn't mind a bit of company in the house, someone to shovel the driveway and take out the trash, to give, bring in a little bit of additional money, you know. So if you brought in another five or $600 a month, that would be helpful for some seniors, maybe to combat some loneliness. And if it's not for everybody, which we were very quick to say this morning, it might be an option people are willing and wanting to explore. And if people aren't interested, they should just simply ignore it.
6: Well, uh, I, strongly, I strongly advise people to ignore it because uh, it's a scenario that's going to have very bad consequences for seniors. I've been down that road. I know what I'm talking about. And I'm telling you, once you get these people into your home, you can't get them out. And that's the broad and the long of it. And and if you can if you if you're if you're not protected by this system to get these people out of your home, don't bring them in there. That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say.
1: Okay, Maria, I appreciate the time. Okay, Take thank care. you. Bye bye. And of course, i mean, I'm not going to debate or argue because it's up to you if you would like to consider it and all the issues that go with the vetting and the survey and compatibility and the red flags that can be brought forward and some of the protections afforded to the scene and the comprehensive criminal background check. And again, this is not me saying do it. This is me saying here's the information. Maybe discuss it amongst your own family and your children and see if it's something that may be workable or manageable or attractive to you. And if it's not, then don't give it another second thought. Let's take a break. we will come back. Perry's in the queue to talk about social services. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number three. Perry, you're on the air.
13: Good day, sir. Good day to you. And thank you for the uh, the little bit of help I did get. And I appreciate the woman did phone about the leg brace. I'm sorry I couldn't accept it because the the bone structure is healed, and the only way to do that is re-break it. And I did not go for that. And the social assistance, I had to get a, a, v, a lvr kit. In Gander. Only place got one. Only place exists, and it's not governed by home. This is just a public person. And she was the only one that had it around. He paid for the chummy, but he wouldn't give me the, the gas to go and get it because she had to show me how to use it. I got that for the rest of my life. And those the social assistants, kind of what I've been experiencing going through, everyone on this hunt wants to be fired and sent home with no package, no nothing, money with I'm trying to get to live off, which is impossible. The and nearly a well while ago, the woman was complaining in because she wouldn't get enough money to make it. Try four uh, twenty five twenty eight hours for two people. Just our social assistance our government totally gone off their head if somebody wants to trade my sickness for their health i'll do it any day but you know why everybody time comes after a while to get sick and be treated worse than the cat and the dog it's time for our people who can't say the government because you're never going to do it, because you're all above us, and everything is top secret. You can't find out what you deserve to get on social assistance. If you rely, if you could get this project or this undergoing the that, they don't tell you nothing. This is, this, "I can't do nothing for you." There's no more social workers, so there's no more social workers. We need people their friends and phone, say no to you. You could leave a recording. No, no, no. But that's the help we got for our public. And our sick and our ones is misfortune. It's rotten deal. Our and Fury and Minister of Health is sinking us that far in the hole we'll never see out.
1: Perry, I wish you had to be able to get more help. We tried the last couple of times you called to get you what you need. And hopefully some positive results come from it. Uh, very quickly before we go, do you have anything else to say? Oh not sure what happened to Perry's connection. Okay. Uh hopefully we can help Perry out. Okay, let's keep rolling here. Let's go to line number one. Derek, you're on the
5: air. Yes, I'm just wondering. Like Super has on sales like two for seven dollars, isn't that right? Yep. If you buy one, gotta pay four seventy nine. So what can you give you the three of it? Like you know, three fifty. When you go to out? To the end of i 2 there's some things
1: you don't need to off, right? 100%. Well, I mean, it's the way that they move the merchandise, right? Mm-hmm. So I've heard this complaint or concern or question a thousand times because you're right. There's lots of stuff that I go to the grocery store to buy that I don't need two of them. I'd really Sorry. like to be able to get that half price, you know, yeah. take one at Sorry. half of the uh, listed price, but that's just how they move the merchandise. But it's a fair question.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay, I was just wondering that. Uh...
1: Yeah, and that's, you know, those are the types of things that I don't think there's anybody can really do much about. That's their own sales tactic. It's not unfair. It's just that it doesn't necessarily apply to all. If I got a family where I got six people living in the house, that's probably a perfect option for me. But mm-hmm. you got just mom or dad or someone living on their own. They don't need mm-hmm. two big tubs of margarine.
2: That's right.
1: Yeah. Was there a particular product that you were looking at that would be uh, better for you if you'd just been able to buy one?
2: No, just like in, in general and stuff I've seen in
5: the supermarkets, right?
1: Yeah, I see it all the time. Hmm? You're 100% right. Uh, I appreciate the time. Anything else, Derek?
5: Oh, that's it. Thank you.
1: No problem. Stay in touch. All right. right bye bye. Bye-bye. And there's plenty... Like... I guess because in the recent past we've heard more about the Competition Bureau than maybe in other years. So we talk about the bread price fixing scam and scheme that went through the Competition Bureau. Then there's things like some false claims regarding reusable uh, coffee pods and all that stuff. Now that there's been a decision made by Loblaws to, on the expiry date sale, where you used to be able to potentially, through flash foods, have the possibility of getting at a 50% off. It's a very rare occurrence as far as my shopping eyeballs have seen, but it was a thing. So now Loblaws is moving away from that 50% sale to 30%. And of course, it's it's aggravating. So when we hear these types of issues, I don't know if there's anything illegal about it. It might seem a little bit unfair, maybe even potentially unwise, given the fact that that may indeed turn some shoppers away from Loblaws outlets. Is it the case that Of course, this is simply about revenue, right? If you sell it for 30% off versus 50%, uh, another 20% comes in, that would have been lost. But if it passes their best before, no, pardon me, if it passes their expiry date, which is not a best before date, they're two distinctly different things, and it gets thrown out. At that point, they're able to claim X percentage of losses throughout the course of a fiscal year. So it just feels like a kind of ham-fisted decision-making approach taken by Loblaw's executives here. I don't think it's going to uh, work in their best interest. I'd be curious to know how many people, given the fact we really feel like we're paying through the nose already, and you know, it's not just about the retailer, it's also about their suppliers and the manufacturers or producers of a variety of products. They're kind of playing footloose and fancy free with us. You know, some of the misleading packaging, it's not the retailer's fault. We just, you know, blame them because we found it on your shelf. So things like the amount of product, the weight of something or other, and people are pointed to the issue regarding cereals and there was one story that made the national press uh, was one of the varieties of cheerios and it didn't have what was advertised so far as volume goes on the package itself and then you go on to talk about there was one regarding a vector cereal and because it said it had x amount of grams of protein it was not about the flakes themselves is that you had to actually pour the skim milk on it to add up to the protein claims on the package and why is that Uh, the case because Vector has been classified not as a cereal but as a meal replacement so you know I understand why the shopping public out there is kind of fed up with some of this stuff you know we're paying more for the same product with less volume the whole shrinkflation then it's the misleading advertising that we see and yes the concept which is absolutely a retail decision to make it a two for the price of When, in fact, many of those items, unless you live in a big family household, is probably not that attractive to you in the first place. So, fair enough. Oh, Competition Bureau. So, when Loblaws makes this decision, there's an NDP member of parliament, I believe from the West Coast, that wants it to be evaluated or investigated by the Competition Bureau. You know it just feels to me like that's becoming a rally cry very much like when a minister makes a sidestep and this is successive governments of all stripes is anything that is uh, immediately there's a demand for resignations and so every time we see something in the world of competition you're going to hear that bureau being brought into the conversation I would suggest just about every single time should they have a look? I don't know I mean it can't hurt but is there any legs legislatively speaking to deal with decisions made like that because laws. And, of course, revenue and profit are up, and inside the big world of grocery retail, there is a pretty slim margin, but they do very, very well because we all have to eat. Regardless of our political ideologies and or our leanings or whatever you're going to vote for, we all got to eat. So they're doing okay. But is that a competition bureau issue? Not really sure. On that front, one thing that we have heard from the Competition Bureau regarding groceries in this country is it's not simply the fact that 80% of the retail market is gobbled up by the big five, but it becomes much more complicated than that because not only do they have the retail space and the retail volume of 80% of 100% of the sales, they actually have distinct control over the distribution models. So. When the Competition Bureau spelled it out, and they did quite succinctly, and I think it was easy for us to grapple with as lay people or not experts in grocery, retail, and or distribution. They have just far too much clout. You know, what they want, they get. And you can understand that. If I'm a distributor, I'm beholden to my biggest customers. And in this case would be the big five grocery retailers. But that really uh, takes away from the opportunity for the medium or small independent grocers to have a bit more of an opportunity in the world of grocery competition. So when we look at it, we can bemoan the fact and we can point to whatever level of greed you think is part and parcel with grocery prices today. And the the issue regarding food inflation, which is far and away, from the general over-inflation numbers, I was away when the new inflation numbers came out. So apparently, crept up to 3.4% from 3.1%. We can only hope, as people servicing debt, that that doesn't result in Mr. Macklem Tiff himself at the governor, the governor of the Bank of Canada, to make any further moves on the interest rate because it has been crippling and the impact has been widespread. All right, quick check on the Twitter before we get to the news. We're VOSM open online, You can follow us there. Our email address is. Uh, V-O-C-M, uh, pardon me, it's open line at vocm.com. And some people chiming in on uh, one of the caller's thoughts about, you know, the shared spaces or spaces shared issue regarding the potential for a student to be matched up with a senior to rent a room in exchange for some help around the house, maybe a little further break on the rent, and all of the guardrails and vetting and compatibility surveys and opportunities to raise the red flag. Back to spaces shared if and when that is not working out. Anyway, if that's something you want to talk about or whatever else you want to talk about, you can do it right after this news break. Don't go away
0: get lost in the music of legendary artists like elton john the beatles and more join claudette barnes every sunday from 12 to 1 p.m and relive fond memories through the power of music with sunday melodies on your vocm
1: welcome back to the show all right let's go to line number one caller you're on the air
14: Good morning. Good morning. Um, I was listening to a caller there earlier talking about, like, in grocery stores, about, um, like, they'll put a promotion on pricing uh, two for, like, $7, two items. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe what some people could be doing, some seniors or the less fortunate, what they could be doing is, like, two people get together together that are like close friends or whatever and go in and purchase the, some whatever those items that they may need and then split the cost
1: it's a great idea, and I bet you it, it does indeed happen because, you know, look, for instance, I have a couple of seniors in my neighborhood. And I know they do this because they both live alone. Their partners have passed, so they're all by themselves in the house, and they're price conscious just like the rest of us are, and I'm sure they do exactly that because I see them in the grocery store uh, looking at the prices and looking at different items all the time together. So I bet you they do it. It's a great idea.
14: So it would be a great cost uh, savings for them. And, uh, you know, like their income is not, you know, um, it's not up to standards, a living wage, what they're getting monthly or uh, some people on social services as well, right? So I think it would be a good incentive for people to follow that, uh, you know agenda. Um and another thing Patty I'd like to talk about uh sure. is um I noticed uh in the news on VOCM that there was an article there uh about um a child youth and family services worker, a social worker that was charged um, with failing to protect uh, a child or a family.
1: Yeah, that's right. It was about misreporting visits and all the a variety of things regarding administrative work and kind of lies on the documents. So, yeah, that was a serious
11: story.
14: Falsifying uh, documentation. Yes. Yeah. Now, um, many people have been speaking out about this very issue for many years, and it's going on more than what people actually think. And there's no oversight. Um I'm sure there's many more cases where it has occurred and I don't know why um government don't give the child advocate the subpoena power to um In the areas of the family court, when it comes to bias, uh, perjury, and a closed court system, because uh, as far as I know, I think that Newfoundland's the only province that has a closed court system. Anywhere else in Canada, you can go in and you can listen to family court issues uh, of cases and you can go in and listen, and there's they'll say, "Oh, a child's at risk Well, where's the evidence? Where's the actual facts and evidence based? you know it's easy for a social worker to go t- take a piece of paper." And go into the family court and just state on the paper that this or that child is at risk. But in actual fact, there's no concrete. Evidence in a lot of cases. I
1: I have no idea how to address that in particular, but having uh, family court as a closed court system is basically because we're talking about minors by and large.
14: And consequently. Nothing, I have to stop you. Why? Please. Because it has nothing to do with protecting any child. Oh. And that needs to change. It has nothing to do with protecting the child.
1: How, how does it not because have anything to do with it? So
14: because there's so much jargon and so much falsifying of documentation and biased inside that courtroom that the child advocate needs to have oversight or subpoena power within the court system because many families... Are going through the system, and you're th- there's numerous social workers like bullying the parent inside that courtroom, and this is fact people, the public is not getting to see what is actually occurring. And this been going on for about 18, 20 years or longer.
1: Okay, I'll, uh, I'll attempt to make my point one more time and then I'll let you wrap it up. When we have minors who are involved in court proceedings, it is the law of the land to protect their identity. That's why there's a closed system. That's why we can't report well, on they're cases. They're not regarding-
14: protecting. That's they why we can't not report on protesting. it. That's why we can't
1: have people come off the street to go into an open court to hear the concerns and voices regarding a child. But they
14: are not protecting any child. Majority of children, they're not because we're seeing most children in the province are ending up in the legal court system after to come out of care, foster care. Many are abused. You can see it in the news media where many are abused. That like Lynn Morris took on many cases where children's been abused has been covered up okay that and now in the court system in newfoundland and labrador there's 377 children before the courts province-wide that have been abused so if you look at mount Cashel. How many? It was 365 approximately, or 367 that complained about the treatment. And now, 2024, currently, we have 377 children the cases before the court. So, where has it gotten any better? Where has it improved? It has not. It's gotten worse. And why has it gotten worse? Why? What's the major reason for it getting worse? I don't know. Why do you think it is? Well, there was a case on the West Coast where a mother was trying to uh I know there a couple of years ago, a mother was trying to just um be a parent and um, be a parent to her children. And, you know, uh, social workers moved in and tried to take her kids. And one of the judges said, no, give the give the children back to the mother. She was just trying to discipline them in a reasonable manner. This is what's going on that parents don't have any parental rights anymore because too much has been taken away from families. There's nothing about reunification. There's nothing about putting children back with the families and the excuses that they use for taking children. They take them on hearsay. They take them on assumptions. They don't take them on facts. Patty? They don't. They really don't. And many children are suffering emotional maltreatment by the system and trauma
10: well trauma.
1: I, I certainly wouldn't say that the system is ideal because obviously it is not uh, I appreciate the call this morning caller and I do appreciate your uh, suggestion of you know shopping in tandem if you want to enjoy some of the savings that are advertised maybe just maybe you can shop with a buddy and split some of those costs so you don't c- go home with two tubs of margarine or whatever the case may be I appreciate I mean, you
14: got social workers yeah, coming at uh, coming at a, coming uh, at a yes, university I, I've heard all of this yes understood No skills, no life skills. Going in and removing children without the actual facts and evidence.
1: One of the problems is the most traumatic file is child protection. And unfortunately, given the issues regarding seniority, oftentimes those who are more senior, more experienced, they move off to other facets of the social work as opposed to letting the new, uh, recent graduates take on such a difficult file to begin their career. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I appreciate the time. You take good care of yourself. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is one issue regarding child protection. You know, it does require a seasoned professional, you know, who knows what he or she is getting themselves into regarding child protection. And, yes, I'm sure there are various cases where a child has been removed with maybe all of the reunification that is probably not part and parcel with some of the system as it currently exists. So, anyway, uh, let's get a bouquet before the break. Line six, Davey, you're on the air.
15: Good morning, sir, and good morning to all the listeners. And thank you for taking my call. I'm calling from the Great Northern Peninsula, where it's pretty windy overnight and still windy here this morning, sir.
1: I appreciate making time from the Great Northern Peninsula. It's blustery all around the island for the most part the last couple of days.
15: Oh yeah, I can understand. Uh, again, I, I I'm calling uh, on behalf of uh, uh, the the. Daffodil Place in St. John's to the the cancer place where the people in there. I, I believe each one that works there and each one that comes there has got two arts each. And I'm not taking anything away from the uh, the full Avalon because everybody was excellent to me. I was there for uh, uh, 40 days or so, and uh, right now I do have uh, uh, my one of my uncles in there. Uh, I I I'm just wondering about. The fundraising, uh, is that, there's one big one uh, once a year, right?
1: Yeah, their biggest one is uh, 24 hours. We do a radiothon with them. I think it's a, you know, you pay for a night. I think that's their big operational uh, fundraiser for the year because when money was raised to build Daffodil Place, it didn't include any money for operations. So it's an ongoing issue for the Canadian Cancer Society and the folks at Daffodil Place. So I think it's called a one-night stand, if I remember correctly, that big fundraiser.
15: Okay, and are there? Is that the only one from the, for the, the full year, uh, Patty? No, I think they do some
1: other smaller ones, but that's their big one. Yeah. All
13: right, all right.
15: But so you I can make a donation question. at any time. Oh, definitely, yes, for sure. I did, and I'm going. So I'm going to keep it, keep it going because uh, if there's any if there's any time in anyone's life that need help from uh, people with two hearts. Uh, that is uh, that is the place to be that's for sure.
1: They do great work, I mean, for people with similar life experiences and dealing with a cancer diagnosis and treatment and the good food that's provided and transportation that's provided. Daffodil Place is a wonderful facility, and so we're always happy enough to partner with them to try to raise some money. My family's certainly happy enough to try to donate what we can to a Daffodil Place in particular. We also try to take care of a bit of Ronald McDonald House because those two, they've got, a soft, they've got a real place in my heart.
15: Well, I'll tell you and they really do in mine and uh, they did an awesome job this is uh, just about uh, coming on four years, I'm back home now and doing fine, thank the good Lord uh, and, and you emphasize the food yeah, well I'll tell you there wasn't much wrong with the food there that's for sure so anyway, uh, uh, I guess I'm going to be trying to look out to see where and when there there'll be them them small uh, fundraisers too, sir.
1: Whenever something comes across my screen or desk regarding that little place, I'll be happy to talk about it on the show. Maybe you can hear it right here.
15: God bless you, sir, and have a nice evening. I'm
1: glad uh, you're nice, doing well. Thanks. thanks. Thank you. Thanks, bye. Davey. Bye bye. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, there's a caller talk about drug education funding. So there's some conversation regarding the Comfort Inn, and of course, becoming a 140 room transition home. And then we're going to talk to you about whatever's on your mind. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show, let's go to line number 2. Jackie, you're on the air.
16: Hi. Hi. I've been listening to your show. For the last few weeks, everybody's been complaining that the government should do something about the homeless people. Now they've come up with a temporary solution, and and everybody's still complaining about that.
1: Nature Mm of the beast, isn't
16: it? Yeah, I have a sore throat, sorry. No worries. A lady called in yesterday, and she had some despicable things to say. First of all, they're not those people. Those people are our brothers, our cousins, our uncles, maybe even our fathers. But most of all, the Newfoundlanders. Addiction is a disease. Mental health is a disease. These are not those people. They're vulnerable. They need our help.
1: I don't know if every time someone says those people, they're trying to be purposefully derogatory. Maybe sometimes they are, and oftentimes they are. The the issue for me is like... You know, there's people have concerns, and some of it might be the associated cost and what have you, but the reality is people who go without the type of supports required end up costing us more socially, financially, uh, with our well-being, with public safety, with interaction with healthcare, interaction with the criminal justice system. So trying to put forward supports, and hopefully people who get these supports will take advantage of some of the help they're getting. And maybe, just maybe, there can be some help f- afforded to their addiction. Maybe get them back on the beaten path so they can. Be self-reliant, back on their own two feet. You know all those types of supports and wraparounds. They if if we don't put them in place, and people will will complain about the cost. I guarantee you, it costs more not to help.
16: And the comment that was made was buying guns. That just that. that that came out of some woman's mouth. One of the safest places to live is. Canada because we don't have large that you can go out and buy guns
1: yeah we don't have a gun crazed population like we know exists south of the border and you know yeah. even when there's I think some legitimate crackdown on guns now I will say some of the gun control legislation is a, uh, a bit hand fisted and a bit confusing cracking down on handguns and uh, guns coming in from the United States those things are important and you're right the problem is though is that just about every single time that we hear of a drug bust or a drug seizure in particular it always comes with some firearms which is a little disconcerting we know there's more of them around than it used to be
16: but in her, this, I would like to get that lady some other place. Get a security system. Get some flood lights. Get some security lights. It's a whole lot cheaper than a gun.
1: And likely a whole lot safer. Yeah. Fair enough, wait, Jackie. to me. Uh, I don't think you're alone.
16: Hope more people don't think like that. And this wraparound service to me is wonderful having a, a woman be able to go to bed at night and lock her door and not have feel like she's going to be raped or attacked that's wonderful
1: Yeah, let's hope that we not only, there's still some unanswered questions regarding how the Comfort Inn is going to operate, but let's hope they also include some way where we can measure so-called success, how people are being helped, maybe back into the workforce, have kicked their addiction, you know, reduced the number of homeless people. So, you know, I don't know how you measure that pragmatically, but it'd be nice if government also spoke to, here's what we're trying to achieve, here's how we're going to get there, here's how we're going to measure whether or not the services in place are working the way we hope they would because it's one thing to set it up, it's quite another to follow through and make sure we're on the right track
16: They have to give the government some time to give this program up and running Fair enough And I think we need more public support, not complaining That's all i got to say
1: I appreciate the time Thank you. Thanks, Jackie. Bye-bye. And I'm not, I can't say that I'm numb to it, but as faithful listeners to the program, you know that I do hear a lot of that. You know, the hope is that we can take concerns and questions and complaints, turn them into conversations where we maybe all learn a little bit more, maybe all have a better idea of what we're trying to do, how we're going to get there. And... I mean, complain's all part of it. You know, it's human nature, number one. And well, I think it's human nature. And I don't mind it. Like, again, maybe I've grown a little bit numb to it, but it is part and parcel with taking on these types of gigs, like the chair that I sit in. So I don't get uh, uptight about a complaint because, you know, when a complaint, there's different ways to do it, right? It's. There could be a complaint that's over the top and without merit, but can there be an absolutely legitimate concern where people are hearing complaint, they're nodding along at home, think that exactly that is something that they're concerned with and happy to have those types of conversations, which I am. Uh, Before we get to the news, Dave tells me we're taking one on five. Caller, you're on the air.
10: Yeah, Patty, I'm just uh, listening to all the social uh, problems we're having, health care, homelessness, geriatrics being overlooked. And uh, my unqualified opinion, my just is going back to Muskrat Falls. Just how much has Muskrat Falls uh, attributed to this dilemma that we're in? When we were, we were good. We were in the good, and now we're in the not. So not so good. So I'm just. Uh, I mean, I know it's so broad, but did this Muskrat Falls start this? avalanche Uh, I
1: don't really know it certainly didn't help you know I don't know how much cash on the barrel head want some of these numbers I mean have been rolling around my head a lot but I think we're probably a couple of billion of our money versus borrowed money did it start the avalanche as you refer to it I'm not sure exactly when it started, but it is part of the conversation. I think we're talking about twenty twelve, right? So when you said that we're have and have not, are you talking about the fact we're back on equalization? Yeah. Not so
10: I thought I just going back to the days of uh Danny uh you know, Honorable Danny Williams that he just said that uh, we we got our boss, we got our and then we uh we went out and changed our credit rating we were good and he said that he would run this province as if he was running his own household you don't go sell you don't go uh, take your equity and buy things that are depreciating and you invest well and next thing all of a sudden we we're, we're going into this muskrat falls thing as if uh, okay, we're the you know the average Joe just in coffee shop talking who probably doesn't have all the information from saying no boys this is not good just not a good feel to this this is going to lead to something you know that type of because a lot of us a lot of us aren't in, have the education where we can say okay this was good that wasn't but just in uh, yeah just in. Um, Uh, After the fact, post Muskrat Falls, uh, it seems to be that those of us who were in the coffee shops chatting said, no, this is not going to work. This is going to cost us. And we didn't even have the technical business, any information in front of us. You know, we were just making opinions based on, no, man, we we got money. Let's let's take care of what needs to be taken care of immediately.
1: It's worse than that we were making assumptions and forming opinions based on information that was ha- either half truths lies or uh, important information that was completely omitted that makes it even worse that's that's what irritates me to no end about that
5: particular issue
10: yeah and i mean here we are and you know uh, nothing has been solved i mean we're not we don't seem to be generating any big income from any of these projects to say okay look we got a geriatric problem we got a health care problem you know, this is where the money is coming from. This is this is what's going to finance. This is why we can have state-of-the-art uh, systems, social programs. Sure. You can take a... I don't know if anyone has looked at the social studies where the social works are coming from and say, look, if we lay it out there and we say to an addict, we'll clean you up and we'll put you in school and you will be you will be if not a social worker with a degree but you'll certainly work alongside one because you've been there and done it and the one that's coming out with just the book knowledge and you with the street knowledge two ye you together you can, you can make a difference. Yeah, there's some of that out
1: there. And if people are wondering about the revenue side, f- filling up the government coffers, it's no problem for me to break that down percentage-wise and dollars and cents-wise, because that's actually provided by the government on Budget Day. You get the estimates review, then they'll break down uh, the revenue side. So we can do that, whether it be from taxes and fees and royalties, coming from mining and forestry and the oil business. So I can get those numbers on the air, no problem.
10: Yeah and I I mean I stand in the position sometimes my comments and opinions may be based on emotion versus pure intelligence or someone that's been there and knows all the facts and figures. So I just say, I just caution people too that you can't always, uh, every, you know, we're allowed to have emotions and, and speak our opinions. But of course you have to be ready to, okay, look, this is coming from pure emotion. This is what you want. This is what we'd love to see and the purpose. But a lot of it's coming from emotion because nobody wants to be in this position. And some of us feel helpless because we have no way of correcting it. And we're depending on people who say that they got the knowledge and they wanted our vote. So we said, "Here, here's our vote. Now go make the changes. And we're not, you know, I mean, we may be seeing some. Uh, we can't discredit the government for everything or blame it all on the government. But anyways, that's, uh, I'll end it there. I appreciate the time. You're always welcome.
1: Thank you, sir. Welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Uh, let's take a break for the newscast. The, you know, we mentioned Muskrat. I just out of the corner of my eye saw an email coming from the province of Quebec, and it's about electricity and forecasted demand. Maybe I'll save it for Monday's opener because there's a lot to break down inside that one email. I appreciate the patience of everyone in the queue. Jess Wilkins, you're next. She's from the Shea Heights Community Board talking about drug education funding, and then plenty of time to speak with you. Don't go away.
0: Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM.
1: Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Apparently, I'm going to line seven. Megan, you're on the air.
17: Hi, Patty. Hi. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. How about you?
17: Good. Nice to see the sun. Um, I'm just calling um, to speak just, I guess, to kind of maybe let the public... Get them informed. Something I'm kind of just realizing myself uh, relates to the ongoing uh, genocides happening in Palestine, and kind of as it relates, like ties here in Newfoundland, and uh, just passing on to that there's a company here in uh, St. John's that is has, um, you know, as far as June 30th, 2023. Has um, you know received a lot of funding uh, provincially, federally, about you know ten million or so, and they are also. Um, it's all on their website. I won't say the company's name, of course. I don't want to. Yeah, but just to get people aware that um, this particular company um, has been partnered with Opit Systems, which is uh, Israeli defense. Um, so they have, yeah, been supplying technology. Um, The company deals with, um, sorry, I'm just looking at here now at uh, marine technology. So yeah, um, I was pretty floored to see that. And it's definitely a company hasn't come out and said anything about it and hasn't really responded to any inquiries on its relationship with LBIT systems. So I just wanted to kind of bring it up and talk about it because it is a big deal especially if it is um, federal money that is going into either developing technology or you know obviously I don't know the workings behind it and that would be not information that the public would have uh, but it is concerning and I just wanted to bring that up.
1: There's plenty of companies here and across the country that have done Mm -hmm. tons of business in Israel tons. Mm -hmm. Whether or not they've been supported with provincial or federal government monies or grants or subsidies or tax breaks, I guess it depends on the industry by and large. But you're right. You know, to pretend that that's just an issue there is just mm-hmm. a little bit of a disconnect because even our federal government we have direct involvement in yeah. Israel so whether people want to come down on one side or the other I'll leave that up to them that's not my position to say you're right you're wrong you're you're up mm-hmm. you're down but some of the information that people are using to form an opinion on this Some of it's simply based on lack of historical knowledge or context. Some of it's based Mm -hmm. on just uh, political-driven agenda issues versus actual Mm -hmm. reality on the ground. People are afraid to speak out because if you speak out about... Uh, Palestinians and all of a sudden you're anti-Semitic. If you speak out on side of uh, Israel and the right to defend itself, then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden you hate Palestinians. When in fact there's a conversation somewhere well in the middle of all of that. We're just so quick to to apply labels based on 30 seconds worth of conversation. we got everyone judged by the cover. It's just Mm -hmm. really difficult to have these types of conversations.
17: Yeah, and it's also like, you know, when there's no transparency, especially with like MPs like that is a futile effort to speak to any, um, just from, you know, talking to other people in the community and, like, my own experience. Um, so there's no information to the public when it is, you know, if it is being funded, um, whatever, you know, technology that is being used that is involved, which, you know, one can only assume um, in defense, Israel's defense or their attacks on Gaza. Um, I think... The public has a right to know because it's also a thing too that like maybe most people would just see that like oh wow this company is doing well they're getting supported by the government they're getting all kinds of grants or advancing our economy when you got like i don't know i just think they need to be more transparent because this money is like potentially not going to good causes it's um uh, yeah i don't know people should be held a candle to this and questioned on it very concerning especially too just um you know seeing what's going on in america it just seems a lot more things are becoming more and more militarized um and that's also concerning too so yeah i just wanted to bring it up so that people i guess in the area are aware that like maybe these issues are closer than what we all think
1: yeah because the world's a small place yeah it's smaller than it ever has been and I don't mind having these types of conversations what I am cautious of personally and it's not about the uh, actually talking about these issues is social media the concept of it Sounds terrific. The way it's Mm -hmm. currently being utilized is dreadful. It's really hard to know and to distinguish between a fact and a half-truth or an out-and-out lie, a piece of disinformation Mm -hmm. versus accurate reporting. So I spend most of my time, especially when we talk about international conflicts such as that and what's happening in Ukraine, it's hard to know what you're getting, whether or not you should believe it or trust it or question it or accept it or understand it. It makes these types of discussions on the most traumatic issues extraordinarily difficult.
17: Yeah. And then, of course, too, like people who would be, you know, respected and people would listen to um, who would be reporting on such things. Like they're definitely afraid to be asking these kinds of questions. And I'm sure a lot of them are just like, you know, if you are asking these questions, you're stopped right away is what it seems. So I don't know. Maybe hopefully maybe more people will start uh, inquiring like locally because that's really like the only way we can start to have any kind of an impact I think is like locally like trying efforts um, because otherwise it's pretty defeating to know Canada's uh, complicity in this genocide and feeling very just as you know a citizen feeling like you can't do anything about it. (laughs)
1: scary there is a sense of hopelessness when talking about these types of issues and Mm -hmm. i think once again that's kind of human nature because we can rally and organize and talk and uh, and Mm -hmm. complain and demand for whatever people want to talk about whether it be a ceasefire and or people who are talking about the right for a country to defend itself but what we're seeing uh, the pictures that i see and the information that i'm thinking is pretty accurate what's Mm -hmm. lost here is the acknowledgement of the humanity or the lack thereof because mm-hmm. that's the biggest part of the conversation here because if we have like just listen to Mr. Er, er, Netanyahu himself don't take my word for it take his word for it yeah. he's very vocal on this issue no thought of mm-hmm. a two-state solution at post-war whenever that ends and how it ends and where it Absolutely. ends because he's talking very very candidly using some of the words that you look like, for instance from a river to mm-hmm. the sea he's now co-opted yeah. that for his own right and his own use and they're talking about raising the Gaza Strip, period leaving nothing behind. I'm not so sure collective punishment is the right word or the wrong word, but when it's being adjudicated at The Hague, I think we should all pay a bit more attention because it does Mm -hmm. not simply end there. That's what we've learned the hard way over time is conflict in the Middle East becomes conflict at home. Not the same as drones and bombs and death and mass destruction, but it comes Mm -hmm. with a societal complication that is extremely real and something we Mm -hmm. all need to be mindful of. Uh, I appreciate you making time for the show, Megan. Would Would you like to say anything else?
17: Uh, No, that's fine. I guess just, yeah, I mean, everyone should just definitely pay attention to this um, issue that's going on because we can't really, can't allow more arms and technology to be sold to Israel like this. So, yeah, companies like this, especially locally that are doing business with the state of Israel, especially for these types of things that we know are causing mass civilian deaths, potentially, like they should be questioned. And yeah, uh, but thanks for... Thanks for chatting with me. No problem.
1: And I mean, I'll add to that, Saudi Arabia. We have yeah. committed lots of weaponry <laughs> to Saudi Arabia. So, and to pretend they're our friends is ludicrous. I uh, appreciate the time, Megan. Have a nice weekend. You too. Thanks. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, final break of the morning and the week. Don't go away. Jess, you're next. And welcome back. Let's go to line number four. Jess Wilkins from the Shea Heights Community Board. You're on the air.
2: Well, Patty, I hope you're staying warm in this cold day. Eh? Hanging tough, man. I'll uh, just call on to uh, follow up for the call I made to uh, – speaking to Linda, actually, uh, last Thursday regarding a uh, $130,000 grant that we were looking at getting for the city, the Shea Hoys community, uh, for drug education and awareness for our teens. Uh, it was through uh, the Memorial University School of Pharmacy. Right. They called us – it was a last-minute thing. They called us and said that this grant was expiring on Monday. The application had to be in, and they needed a nonprofit and wanted to use our community board. Of course, our board is uh, overseen by the city of St. John's, and our grants that we've put in for in the past, we've put them in through the city. So we had to get the city of St. John's to sign off on the nonprofit to put in for this grant by Monday. Um, I had got a call or an email, I should say, on Thursday saying that the the time constraint was unable to to, uh, get it done. And I I was really concerned because it was only Thursday, and we had a few extra days before the time crunch, and uh, I was really concerned that... We could get this done, and I really hope that we could get it done and uh, get it in in and on time. But uh, so, therefore, I called Linda. And also, you know, I called Carl Ridgley, and I called uh, Ron Ellsworth, and I called, you know, Mr. The Mayor and his office, and I really, and Mark Duggan as well with uh, Seamus O'Regan's office, and I really, I pushed to to try to get this done. And um, I was under the impression from the school of pharmacy that it was just a sign off, and that would be it. But when the city actually looked into it, there was a lot more legal ramifications of just a sign off. Um, and as a result of the efforts, I mean, Ron and Carl, I mean, well, I was on the phone with them bit right up until like 9.30, 10 o'clock on Thursday night trying to get this move, this move forward. And I got to say that they put every effort into it, and the city staff did as well, to try to get it done. That's unfortunate that uh, we couldn't get it in for that federal grant. But. Uh, We did come back with a suggestion of there is a 2.6 million for safer communities that was just brought down from the federal government to the city of St. John's.
1: I was going to say, is that available? Because that popped right into my mind.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the city came back and said, listen, you know, we may have missed this one, but there is an opportunity that we can get it under the safer communities grant. Uh, which is not closing, I understand, until the end of February, which gives us lots of time to get you know to cross the T's and dot the I's, and you know work with the school of pharmacy and get that in and get it done, so that you know we don't miss this great opportunity. Right?
1: Absolutely. So, what would it be earmarked for specifically?
2: Well, it's it's an Icelandic model of treatment uh, and education to deal with directly with youth, uh, and to, you know at the early early days of of possible you know starting starting drug use, and also educate the people that are deal with youth as well so the city workers you know the uh, St. John Bosco School is also on board and would be involved so it's it sounds like a fantastic program and you know for us it's anything that we can do to to better our community I mean and you know it really sounded like it's something that you know we could really help the youth of and you know as you know and as your listeners have called in about the addiction such a huge problem in our society and you know the earlier we can can get get those use ears uh, we can make a difference right
1: absolutely and you know some of those pots of money are really quite helpful but municipalities and uh, community groups like yourself it's really hard to come up with the horsepower and the time and the ability to even fill out some of these applications it becomes quite arduous trying to tap into any federal government money
2: well, that, that application for that grant was 30 pages long Yeah, and was prepared by the School of Pharmacy. They worked on it for over two years. And, you know, for me and my community group, we're all volunteers. You know, uh, all the time that we put into our community board to, to better our, our community and fight for this stuff is is all on our own time. And um, so, you know, to try to get this done, I, I think it will get done. Uh, it's just that you know we've got to just go down a different road. And you know, I sometimes I get, I get frustrated because I'm working against. It seems like you're you're banging your head against a wall, but you know what? These things, they, the city I understand the city had legally they had to they had to, you know, they couldn't get it done in time. It's unfortunate, but. They are helping us, win, and they are saying that we can look at that $2.6 million grant and get it in under that. So we'll, we'll probably get there. It's just a different road.
1: Let us, let us know what we can do to help you along on this front, and fingers crossed you were able to tap into some of that cash.
2: i you, have always been there. Every time I've called to help us and support us, so I appreciate it.
1: I appreciate your time, Jess. Have a nice weekend. Keep me in the loop. I will. Thank you. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye. Jess Wilkins, Shea Heights Community Board. Final thoughts this morning. Go to line number one. Good morning, Margot. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Best kind. How about you?
18: Good. We're into the new year. Uh, Happy new year, by the way, to you and everybody. You too. And, of course, it's uh, tax season coming up. Um, I just wanted to let you know that uh, last year, um, when we were doing up our taxes... Um, I was able to donate personally $800 towards different uh, gathering places and um, Salvation Army in particular. But um, And then um, when I went back to check on my taxes, and I said, well, what kind of a return did I get on that, and do you have any idea how much that would be?
1: Well, if I remember correctly, charitable donations, I think you get uh, 25% up to the first 2,000, Uh, that's how I remember charitable tax credits working, then there's a a different floating target with different amounts being donated, Uh, Mm -hmm. similarly with political contributions, 75% of the first 400, then I think it's 50% of the next 350, and uh, 33% of the next 500 or something on top of that, so you get more back by contributing to a bloody politician than you do to a charity, it's ridiculous.
18: Exactly. What I was able to get back from my personal $800 donation was $24, 3%. And if I had given this to any political party, it would have been 50%. Yeah. Now, I mean, there's something very, very wrong there. And I was listening to the program the week before last, and I just caught it because I turned on the radio. And the fellow who was talking about the taxes coming up, said the basis is now was 44000 and now they've increased it to 49000 I guess to pay your taxes on and he also said that in budgets there are little tidbits by where you know you have to look for them but these should be automatic uh, to the people who are paying the taxes.
1: Taxes, in, uh, it's just too complicated and unnecessarily it so yeah, it is Yeah,
18: it and is, that personal
1: yeah. exemption that is it's reflected in uh, returns as well so I mean it yeah, feels sure. like the kind of you know got us where they want us and they do but that personal exemption starting point that number is not, I'm not going to say irrelevant, but yes. it is also associated with the amount of taxes you pay and the amount of return you'd be eligible for. So it's its sure. not as devastating as it might sound. Uh, Margot, mm-hmm. simply because of time on the clock, we've uh, reached the end of the program for the week. Thanks be to God. And hopefully you have a nice <laughs> weekend. Stay in touch.
18: You, and t- you as well. Okay. Thank you very much. No problem, Margot. Bye-bye. Bye now. Yeah. All right. I was
1: only joking there, but thanks be to God. Sort of. All right. Big thanks to all hands who support the program. And yes, we will indeed. Pick up this conversation again on Monday morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy weekend. We'll talk Monday. Bye-bye.